episode of Dopey is brought to you by Oro Recovery. They're located in sunny Southern California in Western Los Angeles and Malibu. They were created by Bob Forrest and his good friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission to treat alcoholism and co-occurring mental health disorders with compassion and connection rather than control. They want to help drug addicts get better, and all of the drug addicts that we know that have been to Oro have gotten better. They've had an amazing experience. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Sound bath meditation, yoga, equine therapy, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. It's amazing. They make sure your detox is as cushy as possible. They make sure your experience is as spiritually fulfilling as possible. If you're looking to get some help for your drug addiction or your alcoholism, you go to oralrecovery.com, get out to sunny Southern California and get better. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our team at Sober Buddy. Sober Buddy is an app that helps you get and stay sober. It's also like a social media platform where you interact with other alcoholics and drug addicts and support each other in staying sober. It's also a hub for recovery Zooms. They do 11 or 12 Zooms a week. I host the Zoom on Wednesdays, and it's always killer. It is a great community. There are lots of tools. It's a 30-day free trial if you don't want to pay. I think it's $11 a month. It is so much bang for your buck. Go to YourSoberBuddy.com. Go to the App Store, the Google Play Store. Download the app. 
and see what your sober buddy can help you with on your recovery journey. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by Evolution Accounting and Consulting, a full-service accounting firm that can help you with your taxes, bookkeeping, payroll, and almost any other business need you have. Thanks to technology, they work with people from all over the country and pride themselves on building exceptionally strong relationships with their clients. They say that their passion allows you to pursue yours because they understand the stress caused by worrying about taxes and accounting issues. When you allow them to take this off your plate, you'll be freed up to focus on what you love to do. And perhaps more important than anything else, the firm is run by a fucking crackhead. Fortunately, he's been in recovery for years now and knows the struggle as well as the success. Use promo code DOPEY when you connect with them at www.evolution-accounting.com to receive special discounts. If you're looking for an accountant, go to www.evolution-accounting.com. Use DOPEY to receive special discounts. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave, and I'm kind of freaked out. It's Tuesday. The show will... It's Tuesday for me. It's Friday for you or Saturday or whenever you're listening to Dopey. But for me, it's Tuesday, and I never record a show this early in the week. But tomorrow, I fly to Park City. So by the time you listen to this... I think I'll have done my talk with Chuck D and DMC on the 50 years of hip hop. And I'll be just about doing my talk with Grandmaster Flash about the birth of a culture. And I'm kind of like, you know, I'm like jumping out of my skin a little bit. I mean, I feel good. I feel prepared. I talked to all the different personnel. I didn't talk to Chuck D or DMC or Grandmaster Flash yet, but I talked to their people. I know what they need me to do. I can do what they need me to do. I feel okay. What I haven't done is packed. I'm leaving in the morning. I need to like figure out what clothes I should wear. And, you know, I mean, I tend to wear the same shirt, the same Katz's shirt every day. And do I want to wear a Katz's shirt at Park City? Do I want to wear the Katz's shirt and the, and the blazer? That's what I always do. Like, I think that it's 1990 something and that's cool somehow but I don't think it really is cool. So I need to, I need to deal with that. And, um, there's a lot of anxiety. Also, it's the first week of school. My little daughter, Susan starts kindergarten this week. My older daughter, Nora starts eighth grade and I'm missing it. And, you know, part of me is happy to be missing the, the insanity, but I feel sad to miss it. Today I went to get sushi with them for lunch because I felt, uh, I felt that sad feeling of, of not being around. And, and that's the great thing about being with your family, even though they make you crazy. And Lord knows they make me crazy. I will totally miss them for my Park City trip. We have an interesting episode today, a very interesting episode. I'm going to be totally transparent with you guys. Uh, it's, a scr- it's kind of a scramble episode, but it's a really high quality scramble. For for years, I've been trying to get Eddie Furlong to be on Dopey. 
And for those of you who don't know who Eddie Furlong is, Eddie Furlong is a very, very great actor. He is most well-known for playing John Connor in Terminator 2. And you might be seeing lots of John Connor artificial intelligence memes since uh, ChatGPT happened. I love Terminator 2. I watched, I, 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 you know, I think it came out when I was 16 or something. It was, it was the ultimate movie for me. We watched Terminator 2 like a thousand times at my friend Jim's house. And we, you know, we lived for it. And I'm sure most people who are in their late 40s love Terminator 2. I, and I think I've talked about American History X on Dopey ad nauseum. Uh, he played Danny Vineyard and Ed Norton played Derek Vineyard. Uh, and it's an amazing movie. He also played in John Waters' Pecker. I, I love Eddie Furlong. I am a 90s product, and he was a 90s superstar, and that's when he started uh, getting all fucked up. And he was in town to promote a, a horror movie he was in. The movie is called The Forest Hills, and he was in New Jersey at a Kevin Smith theater doing press, and then he did a thing in Huntington. So I drove to Huntington, and I interviewed him. And uh, he like he had to go. It went too quickly. So I always thought we would finish it on the phone or we never finished it on the phone. So I've had this 48 minutes or something of Eddie Furlong sitting around and it's pretty high quality dopey though. And I wanted to see what I could put with it. And there's this guy at my meeting named Lenny who I just, I always wanted to hear his story and I knew it would be a rough and rugged story. Lenny has a, a little over six months and he tells his story which is a serious dopey business. And it's, it's basically a tale of two junkies. But before we get into it, I wanted to read an email. But before I read an email, I want to play this weird clip that came in from hardcore dopey nation member, Sally long, Sally long also won the, uh, the Christmas Instagram Dopey Day contest by getting the most people to put Dopey logos over her eyes or over their eyes. So Sally gets the prize. I don't think we talked about it, Sally, but you get the prize. And she sent in this voicemail. And I, I just, you know, it's not particularly dopey, but I just had to play it. What'd you say? I said, I can't tell you. How many fucking times I have come in this house and pulled out my fucking knife because my <laughs> wife is in the shower and there's some other grown man screeching from the other side of the fucking house and then come in here to find out it's a Bluetooth speaker with Dopey on full fucking blast. She's got this shit sitting on the counter. She's in the shower. The counter is two feet. From the fucking shower! Whoa, bro. So thank you, Sally. Sorry, Sally's husband. You can play it in the shower, uh, but not so loud, Sally. You don't need the whole neighborhood to hear the stupid show. But I'm glad you like the show. I hope your husband likes the show. We see pictures of you guys in dopey clothes. If anybody wants to get dopey clothes, go to dopeypodcast.com. Oh, shit. Fucking dopeycon. The DopeyCon lineup is in effect. I think by the time you guys hear this, the DopeyCon tickets will be available for anybody who wants them. We're going to sell out really fast. 
we will definitely be having Jessa Reed there, Mackenzie Phillips there, Brandon Novak's coming back. I think Sean Weiss might come. Dr. Drew might come. Fucking Ray Brown, Aaron Carr, Riley Walker might come play a song. My dad will be there. I'll be there. Linda will be there. So many dopes will be there. We'll be playing games. Be a good time. It's going to be a good time, DopeyCon. So I hope you buy a ticket and join Patreon, for Christ's sake. There's so much good shit on Patreon. I just did a little special episode with my childhood friend Greg. Talk about hip-hop in New York City as I prep for this Park City Song Summit. Join Patreon. If you're a real avid dope, join Patreon. Uh, now I'm going to read an email. I got a really, 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 uh, I got a dopey story and I got a, just an emotional email. So here we go. Hey Dave, I'm April. You mentioned your short on dopey story. So I decided to throw one in the mix. Not quite sure where to start, but I had a pretty traumatic childhood. Details aren't important. Anyway, I started smoking bud when I was 13. I didn't really care for it at the time, but that was, that's what was around. Eventually, around 16, I discovered ecstasy. It was exactly what I was looking for. I think it was the first time I felt true happiness. I went on a hard, long road on that for a few years, and then one day, I was at the club, and some guy said, so you've never tried meth on X? After that, I was doing meth daily. If not that, then Adderall. One day, a friend called me saying he found a shitload of meth in his uncle's truck, and he didn't know what to do with it. Well, I sure as shit did, LOL. I had plans to get tweaked out of my head and make a fuckload of money. We did just that for a couple of days. On the third day without sleep, we were going to the store to get beer, I think. I dropped my lit cig in my car, so I pulled over into a closed restaurant parking lot to get it. Sure enough, a cop pulls in, asked what we were doing, and I told him. I know he could tell we were geeked out of our mind. At this point, I was 19 years old. He took all the money, which I was furious about, and told him that was my paycheck. He asked where I worked, and I legit said Burger King. So needless to say, we all got arrested. I went out on bail, and when I got to my court date, they told my mom I was looking at no less than five years because of the amount of meth we had. I dropped to my knees on those courthouse steps. I was 19 years old. The idea of being in prison for the early part of my 20s was unfathomable. I went home, and that night I prayed. I prayed that if God would spare me jail time, I would never do meth again. Notice I didn't say anything about other drugs. Surprisingly, I didn't go to prison. I also never did meth again. All of our cases got—this is amazing— all of our cases got transferred to a completely different parish. I'm from Louisiana for us to go to drug court instead. That was where I was introduced to AA. I completed drug court and did good for a little while. Around 25, I started drinking heavily because I realized that drugs were bad. LOL. I did that for 10 years. I met my wife and she has three kids. I realized I didn't want to be the same type of parent I had growing up. I knew I just wanted to go for help. I went back to AA. Quitting drinking was by far harder than any drug I ever had to quit. Now I have four years without a drop of alcohol. I'm not going to say my emotional and mental state is all sunshine and rainbows now, but at least I can deal with it and actually make progress. 
I love the show. I've been listening basically since the beginning. You're doing good things, man. I appreciate all of it. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. And that was from April. Thank you, April, for sending in the email. You get Dopey Socks. And congratulations on your time. And I hope your family is good. And if you're out there, not April, if you're out there, send me an email with your address and you can get Dopey Socks. Send in a voicemail. I need a good, ripping voicemail. Someone send in a crazy, dopey story, dopey voicemail. I also want to say that this episode of Dopey is brought to you by BetterHelp. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com slash dopeypodcast and get on your way to being your best self. I have racing thoughts all the time right now. DopeyCon, Park City Song Summit, worries, the kids going back to school. Like my, I'm dreaming about this stuff. I'm having a hard time going to sleep. And I know for me, talking to a licensed therapist actually helps me feel better. It helps me give me some perspective about these thoughts that are, are just popping in my head all the time. Therapy gives me a place to do that so you, I can get out negative thought cycles and find some mental and emotional peace. I've had it be like I would have these thoughts and I would see a record player in my head and the record would just skip and skip and skip. And when I talk it out, the record plays and I'm not so nuts. I've totally benefited from talking to therapists. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited for your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast today and get 10% off the first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast. All right, I want to read another email, and then we are going to get into Eddie Furlong, the amazing Eddie Furlong. Hold on, here we go. Hey, Dave. Holy shit, I'm writing an email. I have wrote this in my head over and over again for almost two years. I love you. I love the podcast. It has been my refuge in the last 20 months. I had heard the This American Life segment in what must have been 2018 or 2019. I was working a second job at a hospital on Sundays and caught the segment after my shift. I was captivated. I remember. I cried. Then fast forward to 2022. I got a new car with the capability for Apple CarPlay. I plugged my phone in and had this option for podcasts. I had always listened to my local pop radio station anytime from 6 to 10 and NPR any other time. Had never given a second thought to podcasts. I'm like Chris. Shit with music. I only listen when I'm in the mood. But talk radio I enjoyed. I found the podcast app and initially started listening to my pop radio podcasts. They were okay. One of the guys on it was in recovery. He is local to me and his story was powerful. I've always liked recovery addiction shit. Besides my own history, I loved intervention, any movie or book about drugs. So I searched drugs in the podcast app to see what came up and there was Dopey. I started listening in January 2022 as I listened to multiple episodes over three or four months, I am now a home care physical therapist, so I drive. 
I gradually pieced together the story of you and Chris and Dopey. Then one day I realized, oh my God, this is the same podcast and story I had heard on the This American Life piece years ago. It all came flooding back. I immediately searched for the This American Life episode and re-listened. I couldn't believe it. After that, I skipped ahead like I used to do in school break assignments with shame to see what happens in the end and listened from Artie's episode to Annie's. I cried some more and then I started from episode one. It took me 18 months to get to the episode where Chris's death is discussed. At the same time, I always listen to the new episode. As soon as I finished that, I went back to the old episodes. Oh my gosh, did I laugh with you guys. It makes me so sad that we never hear you, Dave, laugh like you did with Chris. I can say that I've not heard that belly laugh ever since Chris died. What a fantastic belly laugh you have. I miss it. Yeah, that makes me sad. Um, it's true, though. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I have big laughs in my real life with my family, but not so much on the show the way I did with him. Uh, I have wanted to reach out so many times, but you're so big now. Give me a break. I always kind of feel like, what's the point? My input isn't needed now. But today, I finished the new Jessa Reed episode and just fucking loved it. Her initial episode with you and Chris was one of my favorites, too. I grew up in the UK. I appreciated the Weedabix reference in that early episode. I still buy it now from Market Basket, and all three of my boys eat it. I moved to America when I was 14. I came from a good upper-middle-class upper background, but at the move... But the move at 14 was tough. I had no reason to rebel except for maybe the mood move. I just liked getting fucked up, I guess. I was also born in 1984 like Chris. I moved to Concord, Massachusetts when I was 14. I became a huge crappy handle vodka drinker, Rubinoff to be exact, progressing to raspberry Rubinoff in my college years. Shout out to Massachusetts drinkers who know what a handle is. I remember Chris educating you on this term. I ended up with a DUI at 18 and multiple other alcohol-related arrests in my early 20s. I just remember slamming that nasty burn water out of water bottles and chasing with those early 2000s juice concoctions Chris talked about. Soby water. Ugh. The memory makes me dry heave. <laughs> sure, dry heavy. The liquid was a pink... A uh, thick pink concoction reminiscent of Pepto-Bismol. I didn't do acid because it scared me, but enjoyed shrooms and ecstasy 100%. Then ended up doing a ton of coke, eventually with a realization because it allowed me to drink more and that I'm a fucking alcoholic. I graduated from UMass at Amherst, just like Chris, and ended up living in the North End, also like Chris, before I moved back to Metro West Mass and met my husband. Finished my doctorate degree, having a kid and getting married. I can't help but wonder if Chris and I crossed paths at some point. Like so many others, I felt, I felt such a strong connection with him, and not to be awkward or anything, but a huge attraction to you. That's nice. Linda, no disrespect. Love you too and every appearance you've had on the show. I just less love listening to you talk, especially as you evolved after Chris's passing. Anyways, I'm not sober, but I'm halfway there. I want to be sober so bad. I'm struggling because my husband is a way worse alcoholic than I am, and he is just, haha, just a Ritalin addict, which isn't a hard drug, but he literally turns into a tweaker for the, ten, for the 10 days he has his script. And I dab too because it helps me deal with him when I'm a little high. But I have so much shame. Fuck, I went to an AA meetings a few month ago, months ago. It was huge. 
So many people, too overwhelming, I don't know. I find it hard to get time for that in my schedule, and my husband is controlling, and it's hard to get out of the house after work and do anything on my own. It's a work in progress. I love the podcast. It grounds me and helps me get in the right headspace. I listen every single day during the week when I'm on the road. Dave, you and everything you and everything you and Chris have done is so important and so special. You give me comfort, you make me laugh. The Lion Sleeps Tonight makes me laugh every time I hear it as does the Chili's rendition. Don't stop replaying it ever. Dopey Nation Facebook group is my jam, even though I lurk and like posts mostly. I joined one Dopey Zoom and I liked it, but haven't been able to do any more. Jake from West Virginia calms my nerves. The Cheers Dopey song gives me anxiety. Aaron Carr brings joy. Jessa Reed is amazing. Fetty J arouses me and reminds me of a kid I fucked in my early 20s. Your dad is a darling. You are so important. Lots of love. Stay strong and fucking toodles. For Chris K from Central Mass. Thank you for the very long email, K. Uh, stay in touch. Get your shit together. Go to a fucking meeting. Take your husband to a meeting. You can do it. Or don't. But give it a shot. I'm glad you liked the show. That made me happy. And now, everybody, before we get to Eddie Furlong, we are going to say that this episode of Dopey is also brought to you by the Phoenix. And Kay, if you can get 48 hours of sober time, you can go to your gym and do something fun that the Phoenix sponsors. The Phoenix sets up cool hikes. They have CrossFit classes. They have concerts. The Phoenix is one of our DopeyCon sponsors. Kay, you should bring your Ritalin addled husband to DopeyCon. The people at the Phoenix believe that recovery should be fun. And I believe that too. They believe it's easier to stay sober when you're having fun. And I believe that too. The phoenix.org slash dopey podcast is a means to go be active and have fun. Support the Phoenix because they support alcoholics and drug addicts in recovery. Check them out at the phoenix.org slash dopey podcast. They will be at DopeyCon. We're also going to probably be doing another event in December in New York City, a storytelling event. So come check that out. Check out thephoenix.org slash dopey podcast. And now it's time for Eddie Furlong. I am sitting outside of the Huntington Cinema Art Center with fucking Eddie Furlong. How are you? I'm great, man. I'm great. And I have to say It was Andy who put us in touch, right? Andy Roy put us in touch. touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Andy has been a longtime friend of the show. He yeah. came to New York to do our live event, DopeyCon. Maybe yeah. maybe next year you can come too. Yeah, that would be awesome, man. That'd be awesome. And if anyone doesn't know who Edward Furlong is, he started in Terminator 2, started in Pecker, American History X, Detroit Rock City, and he's a horrible drug addict in recovery. So you'll fit right in. Yeah, yeah. Now, we ju- I just sat in the theater watching Eddie sign a hundred fucking autographs. How is it that you can do that? And like, I mean, listen, you, you bottomed out hardcore. I bottomed out hardcore and everybody still seeks you out. How do those things exist in your brain at the same time? You know what? If anything, you know, fuck, I'm, I'm a person. I mean, aren't we all, all of us drug addicts? I mean, we have, uh, we like our egos boosted. It's great. Yeah, it's great. So I guess that, 
it does that, you know. It's a nice temporary little boost of ego. But uh, you know, I mean he's right. I just got I got through like it was a crowd of people and we're doing it was a screening we're at and uh, yeah, it was just It's bananas. And also like Eddie flew in, he did one of these in New Jersey yesterday. He's fucking driving all over the state. I think there's a parade you had to drive through or some shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like it's also like people need your attention i'm sitting there waiting for you it's a hundred people waiting for you so whenever you do an event like this i mean i I think that's interesting that it is a drug addict thing to love to be the center of attention and to get attention at all i think it's a human thing but you've been getting this kind of attention since you were 13 yeah yeah i mean in in the long i mean just going to uh drug use and nice i mean it really means nothing. The attention, and, and you mean? The attention in the long run. It's it's a very uh, it's a very superficial sort of a attention, and it doesn't matter how much fame or 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 like you know like money you have. It's uh, if you're not living a healthy life and you're not having healthy relationships and you're you know you can be isolated and alone and you know uh, kind of end up in those same. I mean, you just, anyone, as you go to those same dark places, you know what I mean? I think that's sort of like a universal thing. I think we're all kind of fighting our own battles, you know? Totally, totally. Yeah. And uh, you're, how long, you, you're in recovery for a bit now, right? I just got five years, That's what I'm man. saying, five fucking years. You that's know it. what? I never had time before that. Like, the thing was, is I'll give credit to myself. I would be forced to go to rehab. But the whole time, like, I mean, I, I went to probably like 30 rehabs, you know, or whatever. And I'd be in a situation where I wanted to dry out. But I always said, I'm not ready. I don't want to. And I'm, as soon as I can, I'm going to go back. But this time I knew I was ready. And I never got more than a month. So, you know, this is the first time I've actually been serious about it. And I got five years, man. It's it's crazy. It's amazing. This is the, this is the longest I've ever had, too. I think I, I got seven years now before that. I got a year, but I I fucking drank a little bit and fucked around in that first year. But what do you think changed this time? I was over it. I I just wanted it really bad. I Why? Was t- there was there was like several aspects. Um, Usually I go in order from like Terminator Two to the movies, blah blah blah. But I we time is fleeting. Yeah. I want to know what changed. You have five years, and like I think the most incredible thing about having anytime yeah. is it's like you just need to get that next day and you know if you fucking do anything it's over yeah you know what dude i think i think like a big moment for me was one of my best friends and she's actually sober now too thank god but um we were in a relationship and we were just you know shooting heroin and smoking meth and for for years and uh you know just some bad stuff and i just remember like this was the day after she had like an overdose and uh, I had to like, you know, kind of um, I was trying to Narcan her and all this other crap. And I was like, you know, we were talking about her mom and her mom hated me or something at, at the time. And, and I was like, you know, dude, your mom's a bitch. Why does she hate me? And I'm just like, wait a minute. And I like think about that and I'm like, fuck, you know, I was like, I'm a poisonous person, dude. Right. You know, and I, I, I was, I was letting this happen, and I was not a good friend. She hated you because you were using with her daughter, because you were shooting heroin, and smoking yeah, meth with her yeah. daughter. And I was just like, you know what, dude? And I, I missed my kid. I went into this sort of isolation for years, and I just realized that I did not want to be this like toxic 
I just didn't want this toxic energy in my life anymore. Did you go to treatment this last time? Yes. Yes, I did. I had to. I mean, I was I was I was kicking heroin really, really hard, you know. And it was kind of getting to the fentanyl point. Right before so that's the like five years ago was right on the edge yeah, of it. Yeah, dude. I was not right on the edge of that. I had OD'd on and that shit is no joke. No joke. The fentanyl, you mean? Oh, the fentanyl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you would shoot the fentanyl. Would they, would they call it heroin or would they call it fentanyl when you were getting it? They were calling it fentanyl. Honestly. Okay, so you knew what you were you getting. You know, it's funny, but the dealers would kind of call it, like, you know, like, it's funny because it's it's not the same color or anything. And I had done China. And they're like, yeah, this is China. I'm like, it doesn't, doesn't look, look like right. China. Right, the <laughs> consistency is wrong. But, uh, yeah, it was... Um, but I don't they know. call anything that's powder China. Yeah, they You know do. what I mean? Like, I did brown dope. They called China white. I did white dope. They called China. They did, you know. And then it, and when I lived in L.A., I would do tar, and they would call everything black tar. And sometimes it wasn't even fucking heroin. You know yeah. what I mean? I went to a detox once off of that, and, like, they didn't even find heroin in it. No shit. It was, really? But I was like, why is the kick so bad then? But so, so, so when you're getting fentanyl, I want to hear the last run. Let's start with the last run and then we'll rewind to the fame and the, the glories and stuff. Okay. How was the last run? How long did it go? It went for four years straight. It's crazy, dude. Like, you know, I kind of, I, I actually was fucking around with heroin and crack back in the very early 2000s. Then, you know, I kind of got my life back together. I got sober. I drank. I did a little blow. So I was like a functioning kind of alcoholic right. for many years. Like a Hollywood guy kind of thing. I guess, you know, just, I, I mean, anyone close in my life were like, damn, you're an alcoholic, bro. But no one really knew outside, really, I don't think. And uh, then just some terrible life stuff happened. I was going through a divorce very expensive it was a lot and then i just was like you know what i'm miserable and i want to shoot some dope i'm like fuck this and uh it's funny because i actually really had convinced myself this will be just like a week or so i'm just gonna shoot some dope. and it ended up being like four straight years man that and that's all i was doing and uh the girl that i was with i mean she was basically supporting the drug habit in many ways you know what i mean and wealthy you know kind of wealthy family and stuff and that's the thing is like it's never enough we had so many drugs i mean we bare i mean when we ran out it was because the dealer ran out right you know what i mean like or the dealer couldn't get something and uh so we always we we were good and it just never was enough you know and the dealer is always going to run out though it's mm -hmm. your source is never going to maintain no 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 and and no matter how much you have yeah i know and there would be a period where it's like I don't know, maybe something happened with a shipment or something somewhere, but it's like no one could get it for like a week or something. And it's brutal. Of dude. course. Brutal. We'd just be curled up and, you know. You're not on subs or methadone for that week. Um, I would, you know what, dude, this is, this is fine. Uh, I wouldn't want to fuck with the Suboxone because I didn't want it to fuck up my high when I got the heroin. Sure. So, Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, fuck it. I'd rather go through the pain and then be able to get, you know, really, feel really feel good, really good when I get it. But yeah, I remember just sometimes it would be like uh, a week. And yeah, I mean, sometimes we take subs. And oh, that was the other thing, too, is before I went on my last run, I was on subs for like eight years. OK, that's a good detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was on subs for eight years. That's how I got clean. I went to jail. And I had to kick subs in jail. Oh, my God. Which was awful. 
And then uh, did I, they give you anything for it? They did, but it was kind of bullshit. I don't, you know, I don't think it really helped or anything. Because I mean, I was, I was coming out of both ends. I'm like, you know, it was awful. That's what happens. So when you play, you know, the Messiah, in in the the world's greatest fucking science fiction action movie, you play the the world's Messiah. Uh, what's his face? John uh, Connor. Yeah. And then you become a heroin addict. How do the dealers respond when they see you? Oh, it works great. It's great. I mean, well, you know what, dude? Honestly, <laughs> you know, the, a lot of them, at first, yeah, I get a lot of free drugs at first, which is great. But then they kind of fuck with me because they think I have money. You know what I mean? Well, they're so, sure so, you have to have unlimited money. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah, John yeah. Connor in yeah. Terminator 2. But I don't. I don't. So they always, they end up ripping me off. You know what I mean? But, um... Because I've, I've figured out, like, wait a minute. So I'm paying a higher prices than the rest of you guys? What the fuck is this? You know what I mean? So I don't know. But honestly, for being an active drug addict, it works pretty well for you, I guess. You know? What's his face? Jake. I just had Jake the Snake Roberts on, mm -hmm. you know, the wrestler. Yeah, yeah. And he'd say wherever he showed up, if he needed anything, it was like it was rushed to him. You know, oh, like, yeah, yeah. like he would go to Puerto Rico and like they'd rush him the fucking meth and the crack and whatever. Oh, dude, you know what? Like, um, like when I started, like I would go clubbing out and this is kind of at the beginning of it all when I was just doing coke and. Oh, man, dude, like, I never had to buy Coke. It was always there. There was always somebody with a pen cap or something like that. You know what I mean? Especially then, yeah, just going out and just never had to buy it. If yeah. you got you got discovered when you were 11 or 12, uh, something like that. I got discovered at 13. Yeah. Boys Club, 13, casting directors, like, I like the cut of your jib. I think you can be my John Connor. You're like, okay, and you would always want to be in movies. Yeah, I always wanted to be in movies. You know, I had to audition and everything, but, uh, yeah, they just kind of found me, you know. like at, at that point, were you drinking or smoking weed yet? No, no. You seem very clean cut in those interviews. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. I think, like, the around, like, 15 or so, I started smoking weed, and I loved weed, man. Me too. Oh, my God. Yeah, when I found that. And then when I found, like, mushrooms and shit like that, I loved them. The I hippie stuff. The hippie stuff. Yeah, like, I mean, I just, I loved psychedelics. I loved tripping out. I loved smoking weed. And uh, Were you, like, a stoner stoner? I was a stoner stoner. Yeah, okay. man. Like, yeah. I mean, it was kind of overnight. I mean, I remember the first time I smoked it, I was just like... Okay, this is going to be happening, like, every fucking day. <laughs> Do you remember where you were? What was going on? How old yes, you were? Yes, dude. Yes. I, I was visiting uh, my cousin, my cousin Mo. Shout was, out to cousin Mo. Gosh, shout out to cousin Mo. She was uh, in Seattle. So I was, like, hanging out with her and her sort of high school friends. And, uh, yeah, we just started smoking weed. And, uh, and Were you uh, famous? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. she was, was like, this is my famous cousin. Like right after T2, yeah. And uh, she's like, you want to go smoke weed? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I remember, I literally remember the first time, like, I took a hit. And I'm like, nothing's happening. And she's like, no, just take a bigger hit. Take a really big hit. And I just like, uh. and uh, I remember just like, I'm like, nothing's happening. I'm not stoned. And she's like, she's like, dude, you're fucking stoned, <laughs> dude. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, your eyes are fucking bloodshot, man. And I'm like. And I and she's like, look in the mirror, look in the mirror. And I looked in the mirror, and my eyes were like completely bloodshot. And then I looked around, and I'm like, 
Oh fuck! And I started fucking laughing. Right, right. So when you realized your brain caught up with the fucking thing. Yeah. That's hysterical. Yeah, and I just was laughing my ass off. I never laughed so hard. And all of a sudden, just I mean, it was just everything was funny. And and you know what, dude? I always had like you know social anxieties and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, man, it was like I had this like magic shield. You know what I mean? Totally. That just like made me feel like I was a part of things and, and comfortable and had, you know, could hang out and have fun. And, and everything was cool. Like everything it was, a, was cool. It was a cool thing. And it was like, it was like you were not necessarily, like you were a big movie star, but when you smoke weed, you're cool. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's not like you have to be everybody's everything. You can be this private thing that's still having fun and still cool. And like, it's a, I think weed is a magical thing. You know yeah. what I mean? And it, it's a shame to me that I, I, I mortgaged my ability to be a pothead on heroin. <laughs> I can, I never stop regretting that shit. I know, I know, I know. I always, uh, I, I have my men's group and the amount of times they've had to hear me be like, but like, what about mushrooms? I mean, really? Are those bad? You know what I mean? Like, and, and you know what, dude? Like the fact is, is I've done it all, you know? And it's like, I'm really enjoying sobriety now like i really am and uh it's funny we but, have to we have to remind ourselves of that we do we do we do and but you know what like i yeah i'm, I'm the same way dude like i uh always tell my kid i'm always like telling my kid i'm, I'm just like i'm very honest with him he knows that i'm a drug addict and uh i say to him like man just keep smoking weed you know like don't even drink. Don't fuck with coke. Don't fucking do anything. Don't ruin just, this thing you don't have. Don't ruin this thing you have. Like you're yeah. gonna you're gonna regret it, bro. Just literally stick with the the weed and like mushrooms, maybe, but don't it's not the same. Don't well, do the other shit. There's yeah. so many people out there that yeah. that weed is part of their recovery or that like microdosing fucking mushrooms or or acid is part of their recovery or ayahuasca or whatever. For yeah. I mean, and I'm I'm always tempted with all that stuff because I think we're cut from a similar cloth, mm -hmm. but uh, I don't want to, it took me so long to get any time. I don't want to give it up and I don't know that I'll get it back. Yeah. And like, and I'm on this tear of doing well and you're on this tear of doing well. Yeah. You, know, you know what I mean? Like, it's like you hold on to it. So you're like this fucking, when, when was uh pecker in American history X? How old were you then? Late teens, early twenties. So you're stoner. I'm stoner. Yeah, both yeah, yeah. are such amazing movies. Pecker, uh -huh. I think I saw before I was a heroin addict, and I was, and I, I was like a photography major in college, so I was oh, like, cool. I was like, I like this this fun John Waters movie. Fucking yeah. American History X. I'm at a public detox somewhere, and the VHS cassette is there of American History X, and I'm kicking dope. And I put it on and it fucking blew the brains out of my head. I've probably watched American History X using, kicking, relapsing. Like <laughs> that movie is, is such a, I mean, I know you hear about this every fucking talk you do, yeah. but what a powerful movie. Yeah. 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 It's had a pretty big effect. I know. I'm, I'm pretty amazed, man. They, I get people who like literally say they saw it in their social studies classes, and and shit. I saw it in my public detox. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, so it's both. Really. It's both ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never know, like you know, what's gonna hit hard. But we, you know, when we were doing that, there was a feeling of like, are people gonna get this? Is this gonna? Are we going too far? Like, what are we doing? You know. But then dude, I was talking to a cop. A friend of mine is a police officer in Queens, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, I'm interviewing Eddie Furlong, and he goes, oh yeah. 
bite the curb. That was just the first thing he said, you know, and that's, you know, the scene, yeah, yeah. the horrible scene where, where, uh, Ed Norton. Yeah. Puts the, the guy's face on a curb and, and kicks the back of his head. That's like the fucking craziest scene in the history of, uh, of it's up there for the craziest scenes in the history of movies. Yeah. It's pretty gnarly. Gnarly. Pretty, uh, yeah. So forget all that shit. Where's your alcoholism and your drug addiction in your late teens then? It was still in the fun part. I was like smoking weed. I was yeah, I was into the hippie drugs, dude. Like And weed. you weren't drinking alcoholically. Not really. No, not really. I don't know. It, it, it kind of slowly some yeah, I I used to I really honestly used to carry just like a bag of weed. I didn't really fuck with drinking that much. And then there was I think it's like when I started doing coke, which was sort of like that started happening in my early 20s, probably around like 21 or 22. And Do you remember who offered you your first Coke? Uh, I remember my girlfriend at the time. She was doing Coke, and I was just sort of like, hey, can I, uh, can I have a little taste of that? I want to see what, you know, and she's like, no, no, you, you don't want to do it. And I was like, nah, come on, give me. And I, I, I fucking loved it. I, I loved Coke. And then I guess, you know, to kind of balance the Coke out, started drinking, and then I realized that drinking – more than anything made me feel uh really like i had a nice sort of blanket around me you know what i mean liquid and courage sort liquid of liquid courage yeah. yeah honestly the weed and the all that shit just sort of fell to the wayside and it's weird actually cuz i sort of started kind of feeling like weed was almost like making me feel paranoid at some time you know sometimes i was like fuck you know like i don't know just like drinking changed the makeup of my brain somehow that's interesting. It's like it's it's interesting how you, when the the coke and the booze came in, your the weed doesn't hit you the way it did. Yeah, and you're all of a sudden different. Yeah, yeah. The innocence is like a little bit removed or something. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, yeah. It's it's weird. When you start doing all that coke, were you doing pills too, like to come down, or you just come down with alcohol? Yeah, pills started coming like. So, yeah, I mean, I was going out, I was clubbing a lot, I was drinking, I was doing coke, and then I, you know, it's almost like the longer you do it, the worse it gets. Like, like I didn't really notice the crashes as much at the beginning, and then as time went on, it just, like, starts, you know, gets worse and worse. It went straight to heroin pretty quickly. How quickly, you think? I was doing a movie in Italy, and... The, uh, the night movie? Yeah, 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 the night movie in Italy, and... Uh, I was I was asking one of the I'm doing I'm really into coke at this point right so like I asked one of the, you're just sniffing are you smoking are you shooting just sniffing it? okay just sniffing I'm asking I asked one of the castmates I'm like hey man do you know where we can get some blow and he's like oh I'll look for some and then I'm sleeping in my room man knocks on my door in the middle of the night and he's like you want to you want to get fucked up and I was like yeah sure I'll, I'll wake up and there's a line of stuff on the table and this was some good shit and he was like. I'm like, I'm like, well, this doesn't look like Coke. He's like, ah, oh, it's heroin. And I was like, from, all right. from, from like, where was that? They grew the poppies right there. Right. Oh, it, was I like, think it was like, it was like, it was like, right. Is, is it, it near like Afghanistan or some it shit? It came from Afghanistan. Okay. Yeah. yeah Cause yeah. like, I remember in like, uh, in the Godfather, I feel like it came from like, there were poppy fields and hungry or something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't know. We'll say Afghanistan. So he gives you a fucking line of the good fucking. The good shit. And yeah. then I remember just, that was the most amazing. Like, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, I remember just doing one line. 
And it was just us laying. I think it was his first time too. And we were just sort of laying in bed and we're just sort of like kind of waking up and being like, whoa, hey, man. <laughs> it's like passing back out. And I just remember thinking like, damn, that's I, I want to do that shit. And then he kept talking about like, well, in L.A. I have this really good guy and stuff. And um, he was traveling with you. Uh, no, he was he was another person in the movie, but he also like lived in L.A. too. He was an actor. Oh, with, with, a, with a heroin problem. Yeah, yeah, with a heroin problem. <laughs> but he kept talking about it. He's like, oh, man, you know, I got this guy. And it's like, he sells opium, you know. In L.A.? Or in, in L.A., Italy? in L.A. And I was like, okay, yeah, because I'm still sort of like, you know. I'm Whatever, I'm, you're not whatever. like junkie Eddie for Junkie Eddie. Yet. So no. I'm like, you know, opium sounds cool, man. And then he's like, yeah, we'll have to see him. And then uh, basically, like, when we got back to L.A., we went to this guy and he's selling tar heroin. But and he's, he's calling, calling opium. He's calling opium. But for the funniest part, dude, is like, I thought we were smoking opium for a really long time. And uh, I'm having this like little party at my house. And I'm like, hey, guys, you want? <laughs> I'm like, you guys want to smoke some opium? Right, right. <laughs> You want to try opium and everyone's excited because it's not heroin. Yeah. It's like, this is something that, you know, it's exciting. Yeah. So it's like, I bring out this fucking tinfoil and the fucking, and like this one girl's like, um, dude, Eddie, she's, she's, like, she's like, I need to talk to you around in the oh. other corner. Like she takes me the know? corner. How'd she know? She, I think she, well, she's had some experience. I she, think. Yeah. She knew what she was looking at. She's she like, I need to tell you. She's like, that's not opium. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, that's heroin, bro. You're giving people heroin. And I was like, oh you know, my the, God. the Jerry Garcia story, Jerry Garcia, they would give him this Persian. They called it Persian. Uh -huh. And it was fucking heroin. And he's like, who wants to smoke some Persian? He, <laughs> he didn't know that he was smoking heroin for a while, for a long time. And it's the same fucking thing. When they told me I was smoking opium, it was fucking incense. It was not heroin. It didn't get oh you high. It was sopium incense. And they'd be like, you want to smoke some opium? And it didn't do you any good. Yeah. So you think of yourself as this very luxurious <laughs> uh, movie star who smokes opium. She breaks it down. It's tar. Do you stop? No, <laughs> no, no. I was hooked by that point. And plus. So would you go around saying you were an opium addict for a little while? No, I, I, I started going, okay, I'm a heroin addict at this point. And, uh, you know, uh, they always had like crack rocks around. So we, I started, you know, I was like, no crack. But then I'm like, yeah, fuck it. I'll take some, I'll take a hit of crack. It's like, I'm a heroin addict. I can smoke well, a little crack. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just like all of a sudden the withdrawals and everything, it just became, yeah, I was like full blown. What year are we talking about? Probably about like 2003. Okay. 2002 and something. that was like post Pulp Fiction and, and Kurt Cobain and heroin, yeah. heroin chic and all this bullshit. Heroin was in the ether. You know what I mean? Heroin was in the mix. Yeah. You know, like as soon as all the, I think Pulp Fiction probably changed a lot of like people's lives like ours yeah yeah well they had a whole thing called heroin chic yeah exactly. and everything back then uh so i mean i guess it was considered somewhat cool i guess well you know, it but... felt incredibly good it just somehow it became okay to do heroin without knowing like what was what was going to come you know yeah. what I mean? The misery, the per I mean, and they knew what heroin was. They knew how addictive it was. So early 2000s, what does it do? I mean, and were you married at that point? No, 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 no. And you're working. 
I'm working. And yeah, dude, I, I just remember, again, I had one of those amazing moments where like I just see somebody shooting up in front of me. And I'm like, I don't really want to try that. I was like, can you shoot me up? And he did that. Who were you with? Uh, I was at my dealer's house. And it was this like little uh, tattoo artist guy. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I actually remember his name. His name was Pote. Pote? Something like that. And I'm sure he's listening. So, <laughs> Pote, I hope you're okay. Uh, yeah, I do. I really do hope you're okay, Pote. It uh, was tar? It was tar. And I just, yeah, again, I was like, damn. Oh, my God. And it was, I was never going to go back. And uh, then there was someone who died, like, right in front of me. And that kind of fucked me up. OD'd in front of you. OD'd and, and died, you know. And uh, that fucked me up. So I got off of it for years. I wouldn't go near heroin or anything like so that. So after the, was it a friend of yours? Or just somebody that you were hanging out with? Someone that I was hanging out with. Did you have to call the ambulance or anything? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it just, like, the whole, it was just, it was just a crazy, crazy experience. Share whatever you can remember or whatever you're willing to share because these are stories that, like, a lot of our audience has been through and, you know. Yeah. I mean, I really didn't know this person, but it was like, it was a girl. She, she, you know, we were all at the dealers and it was just like, she wasn't waking up and, uh, you know, I just remember, uh, we were trying to, you know, splash her with water and everything. And, uh, it was like before everybody had Narcan. All the time. It was before anybody had Narcan and, you know, it just ended up being like, uh, I just, I don't know. I never, I've never seen that before. Horrible. Horrible. You know what I mean? No, I never saw it. Nobody died in front of me. Yeah, I mean, I barely used with anybody. I mostly used by myself, and nobody died in front of me. It must have been like just a horrible experience. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty gnarly. It's pretty gnarly. But um, do you just check in to rehab at that point? What do you do? Well, actually, a lot of it was like my sort of team that was working for me at that time. They were like, "You're fucked. You're fucked. You need to go to rehab." You know, and I realized I was telling my friends about what happened, and they're just like, "You're gonna keep being in these situations if you don't." clean up and and i and i did i cleaned up for a while like i i stayed away from heroin i didn't smoke crack <laughs> crack is another one dude like crack is just it had brutal. you yeah dude oh my god oh my god yeah dude i'd spend like hours like crawling around on the carpet looking, looking. for rocks you know yeah. what i mean every meme is true right yeah. every meme is true with that shit yeah so your team wants you to get well you get freaked out to see someone die you know you're fucked but you're not ready to get clean so you it's funny because your your team needs you to make money you want to make money you need them to make money but you're not ready to get healthy right yeah i i don't know like um I was really scared to basically let go of that, you know, I because I think the first time I ever smoked weed, that was the real first time I felt like I belonged. It's it's really crazy and kind of kind of uh, intense and uh, doesn't really make sense to a non-drug addict. But I, you know, I had a real sense of belonging. I, I made a lot of friends in this world of like, let's go out and party and find chicks and drink and party and whatever. Be who you wanted to be. Be who I wanted to be. And uh, I held on to that for as long as I possibly could, man. Even before this last crazy run with the heroin, my drinking started becoming out of control, dude. Like, I was drinking, like, I mean, I was shooting a movie and I would order, like, a pitcher of margarita up to my uh, room before I go to work. Like, it was bad. And that was the only way that you could pull it off. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. There was. Was there coke in that period, or were you just straight drinking? There was coke, but then I would just be straight drinking if that was all that was there, you know. And that was like after you you had taken a break from heroin, so basically you needed that effect. Yeah, yeah. I was substituting one thing for another. I don't know, dude. Like, I, and then I guess just like you know, everything got really crazy towards the end, and I you know went on this flaunt, and I when I picked heroin back up and everything. I think, you know, there was a period of time where I was like, I really want to get clean, but I couldn't afford to do it. So I was kind of stuck being an addict. Uh, you mean you couldn't afford going to treatment? Treatment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was kind of stuck. But I knew I wanted it because I guess it's just like I got to this point where it was like, I can't recognize myself. I it just be, I don't know. I guess you could call it those moment of clarity kind of situations where it's just like I wanted to actually maybe give myself a chance to see what I was capable of as a person you know what i mean and 100%. like yeah 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 and you know like i had never given myself that chance because i was too scared that i was not not even worthy of living you know and uh i thought to myself like i was like you know what maybe i am a failure maybe i'm not maybe you know maybe i don't deserve life you know and uh i said to myself like fuck it dude you know i've been i haven't given myself this chance that's this is the only way because either i'm gonna be fucking miserable and i'm just gonna keep this is gonna be my life and i'm gonna be like a fuck and i was like i don't want to die like this i don't want to die like a fucking you, you know, know what i'm loser. realizing we both got sober at 41 and i had the exact same thought which was one thing was i knew i was never gonna get as high as i was like yeah. it was, ne I was never gonna get higher I was, it was never gonna happen number one and number two like all i had done was failed and i had never given sobriety a chance to succeed and i was like i went to a meeting and they said uh rarely have we seen anyone who thoroughly followed this path not achieve these results and i had only thing i had done thoroughly was used you know yeah. and i was like i want results so i was in when you were in that phase right where you were like you didn't think you could afford to go how did you wind up pulling it together? And do you think you were just kind of ambivalent about doing it? Like, you know what I mean? Like somebody would have been like, I'll t you can come in, you're Eddie Furlong. You know what I mean? Like you could have gotten treatment, I bet. Yeah, it's funny. I'm not even like religious or anything, but I remember just sort of saying this sort of prayer out into the universe. I'm like, please help me. Whatever it is, uh, whatever is out there, if there's anything out there, just please help me and, and help me turn my life around and I will try to be the best and I'll keep trying to follow those, you know, whatever footsteps you lay ahead of me. And I'll just try to be the best I can be. You know, I was really on a trip of us getting sober, me and my, my girlfriend at the time. So we went out to Ventura. We were going to check into a hotel and we were going to quit heroin. That's always a good plan. That's always a good plan, right? <laughs> well, the thing is, is we brought a lot of heroin yeah. to finish. That's, always, that's the, the best way to do it. That's <laughs> yeah, the best so way to do like, it. We're going to go balls out. yeah, yeah. yeah heroin blah 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 and uh you know we did we did and it was about the second day in and then like about two, we spent about two days kicking in the room and this uh person comes knocking on the door and she's like you guys you know you guys gotta actually move hotel rooms we're really sorry and everything i'm like i can barely move i'm like oh the fuck and i and i go over and i'm, I'm trying to wake her up I'm like, come on man we gotta we gotta pack up the house 
there's fucking shit everywhere. And uh, so she's not waking up. So I'm like, fuck it. And I start packing everything up and, you know, shaking and trying to get it to the car and everything moving as, as fast as I can. I wake her up, get her to the car. We're going to the room and we're back in the bed again. And we're just like, oh, you know, somebody comes knocking on the door and they're like, yeah, you guys got to leave. And uh, I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, we found syringes and stuff in the other room. I'm like, oh. And we were like, we were wanting to quit. And uh, I said, all right, come on, let's get in the car. We'll just go find another hotel. And we found one, and it was about five minutes down the road. And we uh, we started driving that way. And then we get to the hotel, and sh- she runs in to go do the check-in. And uh, I see this cop come out, and he's, like, looking at us and stuff. And what the fuck? And then, and then I'm like, what's going on, man? And he's like, yeah, just... Uh, you know, we heard that you guys were at this hotel and, you know, everything. And he started kind of like, you know, he was a dick, man. Like, I mean, this guy was such a fucking dick. And he, uh, you know, he started kind of messing with my girl. And he's like, I want to look in your car and stuff and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, what are you guys doing here? And I'm like, you know, it doesn't matter. Did you have anything in the car? She had some pills, but we didn't have anything in the car. I think, like, he found maybe, yeah, something like that. And, And I was like, look, man. You know, I, I just leveled with him. I said, like, look, uh, we're drug addicts and we came here to kick and we're, we're just trying to check in. We just want to be sick in bed. We're not feeling good. Can you just please let us go? And that was the truth, man. And he's like, no. And he arrests us. Wow. And get booked into jail. And the thing was, is I was fighting with this. Uh, this is another important part. I was on probation. They basically told me if I jaywalked, I could get four years in prison. So now I go to fucking jail and I've got this whole other charge, which was it ended up being public intoxication or something like that. And for a while there, when I got out, literally, uh, they were like, you know, basically, I, I mean, cops had come knocking on the door. I was sort of like a fugitive, I guess, you know what I mean? For like a little while, just, oh my God. Wait, man. why didn't he arrest you? Oh, no, no. They arrested me. I went to jail and then I got booked out. So my parole officer called me. He's like, I heard you got arrested. You were supposed to fuck, you know, you're supposed to check in and tell me and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, ah, sorry, man. You know what I mean? Total wreck. Yeah, yeah, total wreck. And then eventually I got this lawyer and she was great. And she uh, basically made a deal for me that if I go to rehab for um, six months, that they will uh, give you a break, give me a break. And that was the Greatest thing I ever had. Because honestly, this horrible nightmare turned into what got me sober. And that's what I needed. I never stayed at a rehab more than a month. And after six months of being there, I was like, I don't want to go back home yet. I want to stay here another six months. So you did the year? I did the year. Where was it? It was this place called Wavelengths in Huntington I know Wavelengths. That's uh, Who's the guy that that runs that place? That's now you know Andy. Yeah, well, Andy, Andy, went there and he drove. I was there. That's so funny. Andy he drove were, the druggy buggy there. Yeah, the funny thing is, is Andy was like, "What's the, the guy Chuck something? Who's the guy who owns that place? Warren, 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 Warren something." Man. Yeah, I had him on the show once. Oh, you did? Yeah, he told crazy stories. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that's awesome. And Chuck, you know Chuck? The, yeah, I know Chuck. I love Chuck. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah man. Chuck Davis, right? Yeah. He's right. in the Don't Die podcast with Bob Forrest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's true. 
But I want to hear the story. It's too good for me to fuck up, and you have to go in a second. So please finish. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I mean, it's just funny. I was just saying, uh, Andy, when he got sober, like, you know, me and Andy had just met. We hit it off really well. So he's like, well, I hear Eddie's at this rehab, so I want to go to that rehab. And then... uh, Had you ever gotten high with Andy? No, 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 no. But unfortunately, like, literally, he checked in, like, and I had checked out, like, a week before he came. But, uh, yeah, man, um, he got sober at the same place. And yeah, you get man. out and you got out of there and you just hit the ground running. I got out of there. And yeah, I mean, it was amazing, dude. Like the friends that came out that I hadn't talked to in years that, you know, had their life together, you know, that, that I, that were happy for me that I got sober. And that's when I learned who like my real true friends are too. You know what I mean? I was lucky, man. I had, I had a couple friends that just, you know, really helped me get back on my feet and, you know, I mean, life isn't perfect. It's far from it. Even if it is perfect, it isn't perfect. Yeah, I mean, it never, like, yeah, I mean, but it's so much better. And, uh, you know, like, I, I don't even know sometimes if I'm going to make rent or what, how I'm going to survive the next week. But something always comes through. As long as you don't fuck this up, you, ha- you have, the, the sky is the limit. You oh, know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> Thank you, know, you, man. Do you know what I'm saying, though? It's like, as long mm-hmm. as you don't. And I say, I mean, I hate it when people say that to me. I've hated it when people said that to me. But, yeah. but I know that if, if like you make it another day, if as long as you're not fucked on drugs, you can do whatever you want. You know, basically, you can do anything besides drugs. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what I'm yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And, which isn't bad. It's pretty great. So it was not quite enough time with Eddie Furlong. Do you guys want Eddie Furlong Part 2? I know I want Eddie Furlong Part 2. I think Eddie signed autographs for hours. Then he ran and he sat in my 2010 Subaru Outback. And, And I think it was hours until he could even go to the bathroom. Eddie Furlong is a true trooper. He is a mensch. And... Tell me what you guys thought of Eddie. I fucking, it was such an honor to meet him. For me, I was kind of starstruck. It's it's weird meeting people when you know them from movies and music and stuff, which is kind of why I'm freaked out about Park City. I'm also freaked out about Park City because uh, I get worried when I'm traveling that I'm going to like make a mistake and not get on the plane or not get picked up from the airport. It's just weird, like, little kid worries and once i even say that i know it's bullshit i'm excited to go to park city it is a beautiful place b gets is gonna be there john bucati's gonna be there bill taylor's gonna be there bryce from phoenix is gonna be there there's gonna be a lot of nice heads some dopey folk are gonna be there i'm 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 very very excited to go i'm also sad to not go to my meeting for a week but i'll be back be back at my fucking meeting. And that's my incredible segue to Lenny from my meeting. Here we go. Here's Lenny. So we're in the car in Cory Beach near the meeting that I go to very often. I'm joined by my new friend, Lenny. Welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? My name's Lenny. I'm grateful to be here. I know Dave for a long time. Actually, longer than he thinks. You know, I've been coming around here probably for, uh, I don't know, three years. My sister started coming down here. And uh, me and Dave have became friends along the way. He asked me to come on. It's a pleasure to be here. You know. So how do you feel? 
I feel great. Um, Hold the mic close to your face. Oh, yeah, you can hear it. Yeah. Um, yeah I like that you shut the windows preparing for the, this. You didn't want people to roll up and hear you yeah, say horrible things. It's generous. Yeah, Which, that's fine. Yeah. When's the first time you came to the beach? Um, I think it was about three years ago. I stumbled upon it because I knew Evan. How do you know Evan? Me and him actually grew up together. No way. Yeah. Were you a bowler? I, I was a bowler. No way. You yeah. bowled with Evan? Not. I didn't bowl with Evan, but you know uh, he's a big time bowler. Yeah, he, he bowled in high school. Um, he was actually my first friend in kindergarten. Evan. Evan. I, I have a vivid memory of uh, us playing in my backyard when we were like four years old, and his parents like brought him over to my house, and we, we've been friends ever since. And obviously, drugs got in the way down the line. But um, yeah, we've always been friends, and these last like four years, he's been he's been having his stuff together, and uh, he's been trying to get me to come down. And finally, I had one of those moments where I was just like, I can't do this no more, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Things have been going really well for me now that I've you know conceded to AA. You know, it's really not that hard to to get through everything as long as you just thoroughly follow the path laid out for you. I love that you say conceded, like it's like you give up. It's, yeah. it's funny because I had the same thing. So when did you get high with Evan, by the way? Uh, yeah, we've smoked weed. And I don't think we've done any uh, hard drugs together. And if we did, it was like, yo, man, could you get something for me? I'm so sick type of deal, you know? What town did you grow up in? I grew up in Ronkonkoma, Lake Grove. All right. And you still live out in Lake yeah, Grove. Yeah. And uh, when was the first time you got high? I got high for the first time. Well, what would you consider high? I mean, I, I started drinking and smoking pot very young, and I was very, very against opiates. And then um, I broke my hand, and the doctor gives me a script of perks, and it just unleashed a beat. How old were you? Uh, about 17, 18, 17, 18 years old. How'd you break your hand? Uh, in a bar fight. And uh, I don't know. I used to just, I was a blackout drinker, dude, you know, and I would get in fights and. I have a vivid memory of it. I, I don't know. I was like fighting this kid and I got clipped in my jaw and I like fell and I like went to go brace my fall with my hand and my thumb just snapped backwards and it was just like flopping in the wind. It was, yeah, it was bad. When did you start drinking and smoking weed? Um, around the time my grandfather died. I, um, yeah, it was, uh, I remember the date actually. It was March 28, 2009. Vivid memory of it. We was in Pennsylvania with my friends. We left for the weekend, and I started. I, it wasn't like an everyday thing, you know. We just did it on the weekends. It was everybody was doing it, you know. It was kind of like one of those things. Hold up, what year were you born? Ninety four. Nice. Yeah. Nineteen ninety four. I think that was the year I tried heroin. Really? I think so. Around yeah, I want to say ninety four was the first time I did heroin. So I just want the audience to realize how old you are. 2009. 2009. First time you had a drink. Drink. Your grandpa's funeral in Pennsylvania? No, my grandfather died later in the year, but I started before he died. And then when he died in October, it was just I unleashed the beast, you know? That was really like where... I guess that as a young man, I don't know, I heard Joey Diaz. You're say still that. a young man, but you keep going. Yeah, no, I, I, I seen on a on a podcast Joey Diaz is explaining about of uh, a traumatic experience when he was young, and he just was like, you know, I'm going to say this one time. You know, I grew up a good kid, but somewhere along the way, you know, I lost my way. When a man suffers a traumatic experience, they just lose themselves for a while. With know? him, it was his mother's death. Yeah, and to me, it was for me, it was my grandfather's death, and I really uh, related to that. 
you know, and I was like, hmm, you know, I didn't understand why I stayed stuck for so long, you know. So you, how close were you with your grandpa? Uh, he's my best friend. I mean, really? I would spend, like, as a kid, summers at my grandfather's house from <laughs> since I was born and every weekend. So basically all the time with him. And he had a limousine service, and I'd fix the limos, I'd clean the limos, we'd go fishing, crabbing, all around here. You know, we'd come down to Patchogue, and we'd crab, and we did all these things, hunting, fishing, you know. And then when he he died, I didn't do any of those things anymore because I was, you know, it's my grandfather. I was just a runner. I would run away from everything that would make me think of him. You know, and it's crazy. However many years later, my best friend died on the same day that my grandfather died. No way. Yeah, so my two best friends died on the same day. It's just weird the way things happen, you know? Were your parents together? My parents are still together. We've been married for a long time. I have a daughter. You know, she's uh, going to be six years old. Mainly one of the reasons why I continue to stay sober. You know, I couldn't get sober for her, but I could stay sober for her now. You know, and that's more. I want to be a good dad to her. You know, I got sober when my daughter was five mm. and I didn't do it for her. I did it because I couldn't handle living with myself knowing I had a five year old and I was not stepping mm. up. Yeah, that's like the worst feeling. Those thoughts that would go through your head like, ah, she's better off without me. But you know how much of a delusion that sounds? You know how many times that thought has popped into my head too? Like, oh, my daughter would feel like would be much better without me. I can't provide for, for her. I can't do these things. But then you look into this little girl's eyes and she has nothing but love for you. She didn't know what was going on, you know. But the way I, I felt inside, man, it was like the worst possible feeling that you could pot. It's like being on the verge of tears, at every given moment of the, of but you can't explain how you feel does that make sense explain that more though i don't know i just never like when i was ripping and running through my addiction i could never articulate how i feel it was just always i i, I don't know how i feel i just want to die like those are the only words that could come out of my mouth was and that, that that's just like the misery that comes along with it man like i just could not get out of it i was trapped for years and i in my head it was either i'm gonna die or I'm gonna do this, and I feel like that's the battle that we're 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 constantly given here. It's either you're gonna do this or you're not. You know. When I was using the thing, it was never that I'm. I never thought about dying, or or wanting to die. I thought about just not wanting to be here. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I don't want to do like. So I I did a shit ton of heroin so I wouldn't feel, like I just I just didn't want to be here. Like I wanted to be removed from it. And I really liked how heroin made me feel. Yeah. Now, your grandpa dies, and then you're like, fucking, you're, I'm off to the races kind of thing. Did you change? Did you, yeah. like, how old were you? Uh, so I, I started drinking and smoking when, uh, 2009, I was uh, That's in ninth grade. I was 15 years old. He died later in the year, so I was around 15 years old. And that, so I started drinking and drugging, and about the next summer, I found cocaine. And cocaine, man, like, just never agreed with me. Just always made me very emotionally erratic. I would get very down on myself. And, like, I didn't have an off button. So, like, I'd start on a Friday and I wouldn't stop until, like, Sunday, the next, you know, or, or Monday, a week later. Like, the, the days would just all meld together, man. It was, I, I sometimes look back on it and look and think to myself, like, what was I doing? You know, but I, I realized I had no control over it. As much as I thought I did, like the things aren't weren't always bad. There was fun parties. There was strippers. There was all that. Hold shit. up, hold up, hold up. If you were sixteen 
and you discover Coke and you're like, what's your favorite, drinking weed or Coke? To be honest, like weed, weed, weed would be my favorite. But um, I always thought that I loved cocaine and then I would do it and instantly regret doing it. When does it become clear like that you're like a fucking professional stoner, like serious drinker? What? How does your life change out here? Well, I uh, got my first DWI at 17 years old, and it really didn't even occur to me that there was a problem. I just figured that I partied too hard. But yeah, instantly there was just there was consequences with the law. No consequences with my family, but consequences with the law. And it never really occurred to me to think that I had a problem or that I could potentially be an alcoholic. It was just like, ah, I had a bad night, you know? And it was just continuous. I would constantly tell myself that. It was just a bad night. Like one time this kid overdosed in front of me and I called his... He, heroin? On heroin, yeah. Fucking Joey. Rest in peace, Joey. He uh, he died that <laughs> night? No, I, I saved his life that night. But um, Had you been using heroin at that point? I just like started to again. So when he, like we had two needles and I was like, yeah, you go first. Let me know how it is, you know? And he dropped. And I was like staring oh. at him. And now I'm like looking at this needle and like, I wanted to so bad. Like, I'm like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to overdose. You know, like. What did you do? What happened, though? I, he, went, he did it in my room. Oh, he did it in the bathroom and then went into my room and laid down on my bed. I went out into the, uh, I was living at my uncle's house at the time. We used to jam and play music. So I did a song with him at the time. And then I go back into my room to like. Bong rip, ripping in the, the USA. Bong ripping in the USA. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going back into my room to do. And I noticed Joey's laying on my bed blue. I don't know, I start smacking him in his face. I'm like, Joey, what, you know, like, and he's, he's making this, like, gargling noise, and his eyes are all bloodshot. It's, like, it's the worst when somebody overdoses. So what around. happened? Well, we had to call the EMTs. They came. They Narcaned him. But, um... And that was pre-fentanyl, though, this right? This is, well, maybe borderline right after people started. started to notice right. that it was coming. So he dropped. But, um... You know, Joey's parents were very, were older. He's a little bit older than me, so he didn't have parents to call. So I called his brother, and I let them know what happened. He gets back to the house the next day. He's, he goes, Lenny, why'd you call my brother? <laughs> you know, I, I just had a bad nightmare. I'm like, Joey, you were dead on my bed, bro. And, like, this is, like, how I know that this, this thing is centered in our minds because, like, we will convince ourselves, even when we just overdosed and died, basically. That it was okay. That, that it's okay. But he he overdoses, he's out, but you have the dope and the needle. What do you do? Well, while the EMTs were in my room, I had it, like, behind my Xbox. And, like, it took everything out of me to not, and I just squirted it out. You got rid of it. I got rid of it, yeah. When's the first time you were exposed to heroin? Um, so, you kind of glossed over that. Yeah. You kind of went from D DUI to Joey There's just so blue. many things, you know. Joey turned blue today. I mean, we, we, made, we made a song about that, too. It was fucked up. Do you um, have the song? Ah, my uncle plays it on the guitar, and we... Uh, that could be a song. Yeah. Big punk rock Joey anthem. Joey turned blue today. Yippee-yay-yo, yippee-yo-kaye. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, heroin. Um, I didn't really touch it until I was 18 years old. Let me ask you this before you even answer that. You're a normal Long Island kid. Mm -hmm. You start drinking 14, whatever, 15. The Coke, 16. Lacrosse, baseball, bowling with Evan. Mm -hmm half Jewish, whatever. <laughs> Fucking when do you start feeling the shift like I'm a normal kid to I'm a fucking dirtbag, Long Islander, drug addict, alcoholic? 
probably around the time, like, yeah, about right after, like, my coke. And if you've never called yourself a dirtbag, I apologize for calling you. Oh, no, I 100% did. That's something that my wife called herself all the time, and she's from here. I was a nerdy nerd. Me too. I played World of Warcraft. Yeah. And, like, it was a video game nerd. Like, I would raid on the weekends and, you know, scout out dungeons in that game so I could get, you know, my epic gear, you know. Isn't it funny how it happens? Like, you go from one life into this other life. And then all of a sudden, all there's left is this other life. Yeah, yeah. So when do you wake up and you're like, this is what I'm interested in? To be honest, it never really occurred to me that I would have a problem. Like, there'd be, like, brief moments of, like, why would this happen? But never, like, a a real thought, like, wow, I need to stop, you know? Like, I wasn't, I wasn't done, ever. Like, there was always more to be done. First time you're exposed to heroin. So my friends back in the day, we were they used to they used to sell a bunch of blues when everybody was getting blues from the doctor, and I used to yell at them for doing it. I'm like, "Oh, be it's just stupid. You're gonna fucking turn into a heroin addict." And little, you know, did I know that I would turn into the same thing? First time was probably around 19 years old. They would, blues got eradicated. Nobody could find them for some reason, and. Um, my friend was selling dope at the time, and um, were you doing the the blues before that? I was doing the, the oxies. Blues. I was doing the oxies, and and one of the the I mean we've talked about him, and he's been on the show a million times. Mm-hmm. Is Jay, and Jay is from Sayville, and yep. he sold blues. Were you buying blues from him? Did you cross paths with him? I've never crossed paths with him until um I got into AA. Really? <clears throat> yeah. That's so fun. But I never really like had a relationship with him. I remember vividly talking to him on the beach. Right. And uh, that was the last I seen him. I've never seen him again. I also ran into him in Bohemia, actually, another time. We were like, he was like, oh, Lenny, what's up? He probably doesn't remember me, though, now. I bet you he does. Yeah. But uh, I think it's funny. Like, uh, I'm just realizing how much you've changed mm. since I met you, since you first showed up. Like I I I kind of forgot, you mm. know what I mean? Because it's like it's like a gradual change, and then it's like, yeah. oh wow! Because I saw you when you first got like day one. Out. Yeah, yeah, Strung yeah, out yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. was bad. I forgot. Isn't that funny? Anyway, so blues. Did you ever get strung out on oxycotton or no? Um, I got to do a few of them when I was really young, but opiates weren't my thing, and that's why I hated opiates. Was because like when I did them, I would just continuously throw up. You know, so I just thought they were stupid. Like, I never got a good feeling from them. And then when I broke my hand, I ended up taking a few perks and building up a tolerance. And then I did a blue and it was over. You know, it was like Superman. I felt like Superman. And it just took me on a run from then until about uh, six months ago. So describe that, though. Like, were you afraid of of opiates or were you just like, it's a loser thing? Like, uh, yeah, I just I it was there was that loser stigma around it. It was just like you always probably a good stigma to have. Yeah. You know, (laughs) but like, you know, with this thing, you know, there's no there's no boundaries to what it will take from you or, you know, like as far as your mind, your soul, man, this thing stole my soul. Like, I remember my dad used to look at me and be like, you got these beady black eyes right. man. you're just consumed by the devil and my dad's been in the program for 25 years wow you know and he's just like you're consumed man and like, you were at home uh yeah i used to go back and forth i used to do this rotation i'd get kicked out of my dad's house my grandma would pick me up you know i'd be like oh lenny come stay with me because my grandma grandma's boy i love my grandma you know shout out grandma um That's you know i'd nice. go there she would, you know, and then I'd do the rotation. I'd go to my uncle's house, mom's house, aunt's house, and until everybody would get sick of me, you know. And then, um, I don't know, I, the, towards the end of it, I was just, uh, 
there was like not much I could do. I couldn't hold a job. I couldn't I, like there was no in between of like normal life and, you know, being a functioning human being and this other life. Like I, all of a sudden, like the whole other side just consumed me. Like I was getting high all day around the clock. And then like somewhere in the mix of like that heroin, I found crack. And wait, hold up. Before we get to crack, when did you find that you needed to do heroin every day? I tried to stop and I was deathly ill. Like that is the worst feeling that I think you could ever feel. And a lot of it I really think is like a placebo effect. Fear. Fear. Like, oh, it's gonna be so bad. I, yeah. And then and then we get so used to living in it, mm -hmm. living outside of it is uh is so uncomfortable and so scary. Mm. But I mean like and then once you're fucking addicted to an opiate, getting off of anything is so terrifying because you're not gonna be okay. No. You're not gonna be okay. How did you support your habit? Well, I always worked, you know, so I, that's what kept me in the, the delusion was that you were like, okay. I would hold the job, you know, for a while. I would go, you know, I would be late sometimes, but like I was always a hard worker. I always went to work and people always took a liking to me at work. You know, I was like, oh, this kid works hard, but I, I just couldn't find the shift to, you know, put it into all aspects of my life. Like I either go all out with work, I go all out with this and I lack in other areas of my life. There is no happy medium. And what I've been learning now is to have a happy medium, even though like seek balance, seek balance, even though I don't, you know, I'm starting businesses and stuff like that. And I just work, 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 work. And my girlfriend's like, oh, where you been? Like my, my daughter, you know, and I'm like, oh, I'm trying to run a business here, you know, and like you justify these things. But I realize that I need to have this you know, this work life balance, you know, because it's not healthy to just drill work all the time, you know, and, and it's not good to take that stuff home with you either. You know, I'm that guy that like I'll think I'll lay in bed and think about the job tomorrow, what we did today at work, you know, and even this stuff, you know, I go to bed thinking about it all the time. Thank God I do, because I to have what I have today, I, I you know, unfortunately, I had to live through all that. And thank God I did, because I didn't really do anything different than my friends. We all partied the same. I hung out with people that did the same shit I did. But I, I don't know, I guess God seemed fit for me to live and tell the story, you know, like I could count like 15 people off the top of my head i used to have a group of um 12 friends there's only three of us left you know it, and, and the other nine died the other nine died when and when does crack come in the picture crack is a, a, the weird story so around the time that i started doing blow i was working for my friend's parents medical company and um, they had a mobile ultrasound company that my best friend that passed away on my grandfather's date and his mom very, very wealthy. And the dad. But um, the dad was a, was a drug addict. And um, I don't know. As 16-year-old kids, you'd think that an adult would, uh, you know, try and push you away from that shit. And he dragged us right into his life. We were smoking crack with him at like 17 years old, 16 years old. And it was never really like an everyday thing. I didn't like it. But um, I made it that much easier for when it came into my life later on that um, I just, I, I latched onto it. But I noticed with that, it was never that I wanted to do it. It just, if I took that one hit, I couldn't stop. I just was constantly chasing it. And I would always convince myself to take that first hit. But this last, this last run around before I, I got in here, crack was like an everyday thing. Every single day. Was crack the piece that really escalated the addiction or the, or the misery? Uh, yeah, definitely elevated the misery very fast because I would sit in my room for like three weeks straight, not come out, not sleep. Uh, just like 
I, I wouldn't come out. I'd get very paranoid. I would sit in there. I'd think my dad's planting fucking cameras and the hi-hats. Like, and uh, I don't even, I was not living a life whatsoever. Like, but that's when, like, I knew I was screwed when I convinced myself that this thing doesn't want me to die. It just wants me to suffer. And that's all I felt up until I got sober on March 23rd. March 23rd. So how much time do you have? Almost six months. Wow. Maybe I maybe I jumped a gun in having you come on. Do you think it's too early to be on? No. I mean, I, I've it's been- It's very rare that we have somebody with no time on. Or six months is not no time. Everything but like, happens for a reason. Everything ha- well, everything happens the way it You know why happens. you asked me to come on? It's because I present, you know, I'm doing this shit. You see me at the beach every day, you know? And like, I, I ask you to come on because I've known you since pretty much day one. Mm-hmm. I've seen you conflicted. Mm. I've seen you struggle and I've seen you succeed. Mm. And I love the way you talk. Mm. So that was that that was my thinking. And I'm just like, let's see what Lenny's got. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. also, you know what? I think the this is how fucked up I am, because I'm an opportunistic ambulance chasing mm. Jew. Uh I, I a little bit, you know, and I remember one day we were at the meeting and someone talked about somebody dying. You know, they just showed up and they said oh, that they you... killed somebody or it was like it was very jarring. And then you shared about your friend that died. And I was like, wow, mm. there's probably a crazy story there. And and I, I, I think we've had so many people in our community die. My partner who I started the show with died. My best friend died just before him. Mm. Like, it's just death, 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 death. Yeah. And I think you're young and you can get better. And like, but death needs to be discussed on this show mm. and 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 when, who died in that story uh my my best friend billy another one of my best friends billy since 14 years old we met each other in ninth grade 14 15 years old and um through that same same kind of story as me you know got involved with the pills this and that but the problem was this last time around we thought we were getting blues and they were fentanyl. they were the least fentanyl ones and he got a bad pill and um yeah, he fucking uh Was he the one you were talking about that died the same day as your grandfather? No, and that's somebody else. Somebody else. So who is that? So my friend that died on the same day that my grandfather died was the kid whose mom had the mobile ultrasound company that I worked for. And how did he die? Oh heroin overdose. And when that when Billy died from the fentanyl ace blues, were you doing them also? Mm-hmm. And you lived and he died. I had never overdosed once. Never. Never overdosed. So that's where I realized that this thing doesn't want me to die. It wants me to suffer. But that's a grand illusion. Like if you're a fentanyl you'll user and, you're, and you'll die eventually. So don't, don't, don't. Everybody thinks that and then all of a sudden they're they gone. I know. You know. Like now I'm more scared than ever to relapse. And that's why I keep recovery so important in my life because I've never, ever since I'm 15 years old, like, and I started getting high, like there was no serenity in my life, no peace. Like there was a constant just constant cycle of chaos you know and all i gotta go do is come to the beach put a dollar in a basket and all of a sudden i could stay good for the day you know and you don't have to put the dollar in the basket. no you don't sometimes i don't what was that no i'm not saying you i'm (laughs) saying anybody could do you know it's not about the dollar it's about participating Mm -hmm. but uh what was going on with you when you had what's your daughter's name my daughter's name is lalia when i met her yeah. yeah what was going on with you when when your girlfriend or whoever it was got pregnant so when she met me my me my family's very close you know so at the time my uncle was going through a bad breakup and he had a house in selden 
and he was going through a hard time. So he was like, yo, Lenny, come live with me, you know, and it was probably the worst idea. We had a great time and mo most of the time, but we just partied way too much. And that was like, you know, like sex, drugs and rock and roll, like. But if, he wasn't he wasn't a horrible drug addict like you. He would party with the blow and and smoke weed and and drink, but he always had the off button. And he, he would, wasn't a heroin addict. No. No, he always used It's to always look at different. Crazy. It, yeah, it's always you know? different. Like he would have that uh he'd be like, "What do you guys do?" Like he just right. could not comprehend it in his head, you know. The off button. Yeah, the off button that uh most of us don't have in this program. He has you know, that's he why just, he's not here. He just one day was like, I, I can't do this. Like the same way I was talking about blowing. It makes me all crazy in my head and emotionally erratic and all these things. Like he realized the same for him. But he was like, I'm not doing this shit no more. When I drink, there is absolutely no way in hell I am not putting blow in my nose. Like it just those two go hand in hand for me. Like I never really did cocaine without drinking. And then when I found crack, I would just. I don't know. I would wake up in the morning and I'd take a hit and then I was on another run for three days. You know, the second I opened my eyes, I was like the kind of guy that would fall asleep next to his shit. So like in the morning, I opened my eyes. But like, that's the kind of guy I was. It's also amazing, though, that you supported that kind of a habit just with working. Yeah. Well, my problem was, is I was working seven days a week. So right. I didn't really have a life and it was all just to supply my drug habit. Right. Which was like twelve hundred dollars <laughs> a week, you know. Uh, so you're telling the story of your of your daughter. Yeah. So uh, my daughter, um, she was born in 2018. I met her mother in 2016 um, at my uncle's house. We were partying a lot, a lot of cocaine, drugs, alcohol, and, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll is what I, I would just if there was a sign that would be on the roof. And um, I don't know. I, I met her, um, Teresa, her mother, and everything was going good. But I was just a raging cokehead, you know. And throughout that time, I guess she, a lot of people I meet see the beautiful person that I am, but I never see it. And uh, I don't know. She stayed with me for six years, you know. I don't know how she did it. God bless her, you know. Um, she uh, and you just stayed using. She gets I, pregnant. There was there was brief moments of like reality where I would attempt to get sober. But then, like, the fleeting thought would come, like, and I was off to the races every time. Like, I just could not. There was no mental defense against it. Were but. you were you sober or clean? I mean, like, when my first daughter was born, I left the hospital. I, I got Xanax while, I think, right before I was, she was born. My my wife was like, can you stay here? And I said, no. I went home. I, I wound up doing heroin. Like, it was really, really bad. Yeah, I was getting high in the... um in the room right after my daughter was born. My my girl's knocked out. You're doing heroin? No, I was doing blow at the time. For, so like that, when I talk about heroin, like from from that time in 2016, like I found a way to get off of it. I was like, I'm not touching this again. And then- You just got sick and, and were like, fuck. Yeah, and I, well, I went to rehab a few times. I've probably been to rehab, I don't know, eight times. Yes. Eight times, numerous detoxes, you know, but I would get there and it was really more or less to just shut my parents up, shut my girlfriend up. I never really thought I had a problem until I ran out. Right. You know, then I'm like, that's when I would start flipping out. I'm out of money. I have, I, I've lost all hope. That's when I want to die. You know, when I have the money and I'm running and everything is good, like I don't want to die when I'm getting high. It no, just, things are great. Things are it's great. It's amazing. I yeah. can't believe I can get high all the time. Yeah. When's the first time you fucking have a needle? So, um, mm, about 21, 22. Yeah. About, with that guy, Joey, he was, he was shooting shit. And I was like, yeah, you know, he started shooting coke with me a little bit. The needle was never really my thing. I would smoke heroin. 
But I, I okay. have shot. I have shot heroin. You have shot heroin. I've shot it. I've sh- I've shot it. Yeah, no. Um, I, I, you know, I, it's crazy when I talk about it because it's like I never seen my life going this way. You know, and to call myself an alcoholic today, you know, I'm really a drug addict. But I call myself an alcoholic, and uh, you know, I used to think it was like complete and utter defeat. You know, and when you wave that white flag, you know, you actually afford yourself. A I love that I'm taking you to these horrible places, and you're desperate to. Hold on to programming this story, which is very beautiful and yeah, sweet. I, and I, I, I hope I, I hope I'm not fucking contaminating you. No, no because no, no. for me, it's like I did all this fucking horrible shit, and I had that life. Yeah. You know, I had a, I had that life for a long time, and then I turned the page. You know, and I still like visiting through the show, mm. and I still like trying to make sense of that life through the show. But I live in recovery mm-hmm. you know so i hope this doesn't no you know why i always go back to recovery is because i had that psychic change you know for so long my brain just could not compute not doing drugs that now all it's doing is computing not doing drugs but this is like a, a formula that i've i've created over six months time you know like i didn't always think like this i would always think of the drugs i would always think of the fucked up stories i would and you know like don't get me wrong i find a little a little joy in going back there myself, but I, sometimes it gets scary. It though. does get scary, and I think that's kind of like the danger with this conversation. Like I think it, it I w- will definitely get to the good part, mm. which is like when you're when you finally figure out why you're totally fucked. Yeah. And you need to do this. I think it's interesting that you were more of a, a heroin smoker than a heroin shooter, and you were more of a, a coke smoker than and, a coke shooter. Mm. Did you ever shoot coke? I have. Did you hate it? Um, yeah, I, I, it's I just, very you know, it's just the whole needle thing to me just never it's too re- much. It just was like, I needed to do, I needed to go to CVS to get needles and then I needed to go back to my house and find the van. You know, it's like, I couldn't do it. You know? So I was like, piece of tinfoil or straw and I'm high. That's you know, that's all I needed. It was a, there was not, there was less amount of instruments I needed for me to get high. Like when I used to do blues, all I needed was a straw. I'd put the blue in the straw, I'd chew on it and I'd t- put the straw on my nose and that was it. Was there any kind of like thing in your head where you were like, if I'm strung out shooting, it's much more of a problem? Or was it just not appealing to you? It just wasn't appealing to me. I, like I was a junkie, but like I felt like the stigma of junkie comes once you start fucking putting that needle in your arm and i think that's what kept me out of thinking i was for so long or in just the, the delusion as itself was because like i stopped doing that you know i i didn't do that anymore and like i've developed i didn't develop anything really but i developed a fucking little um a way to not shoot heroin you know and still get high yeah i don't know just heroin took me for a fucking ride man i never thought that i would get to you know it's like it was all fun and games until like i'm strung out in my fucking car for the ninety thousandth time this year and you know then all of a sudden the dope man texts me and then i'm I'm all chipper ready to go you know it's such an exciting text oh man but uh your daughter's born you stay using for five years yeah how was that the the worst of the using or was that the the end like the puddle drying up kind of thing you know what there would always be brief moments of the puddle drying up but you know i would always convince myself to go out and drink with the boys and right like you could like i could like i'm a drug addict i could go drink some beers but it all i always found a way to get back to where i was if not worse every time 
And I would always come to this moment, like, how did I get here again? And it was because I drank, for, you know, it was, it was as I, I unleashed the beast. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't compute that. You do know? you think you just were like, fuck it, I'm not going to do heroin. I'm not going to smoke crack, but I deserve to have some kind of normal yeah. life. And these guys are just chilling. Why can't I just chill with them? Definitely, uh, you know, but you, you go into the lion's den. And, uh, well, you're a horrible drug addict. You know, <laughs> and yeah. if you're a horrible drug addict... And you think you can drink, chances are you're going to do drugs. It's like you're, you're not your uncle. You know, we're not like that. We're no. this way. Yeah. Now, the um, they say drug is a drug is a drug. Alcohol gets you to a drug. Drugs get you to alcohol. It's all the same shit, you know. But I, I would justify in my head, I guess, if you would look at it as if things were levels, you know, like weed is the, the least worst you could do. And then I guess you could say cocaine you know or molly you know and you go up and then heroin and crack is at the top of the chart and as i always thought if i could stay at the lower spectrum i could you know you could, you i could, could party it. and have a good right. time and but like i've learned through the years that i'm just not that party and have a good time guy i'm just let's go balls to the wall i would always try to party and have a good time but there was just never I would never enjoy it, you know. It was never that good a time. If I was controlling it, I wasn't enjoying it, and if I was enjoying it, I wasn't controlling it, you know. Definitely. You have six months now. Mm. It, what's the longest you ever had? This right now. And and what? Give. How did you get here? Um, what was the end? The end was uh, I was smoking crack in my room. And you were doing heroin still. I was doing heroin still. And Every, I, were you strung out on heroin? I was strung out on heroin. I was strung out on. Everything on every well, mostly just crack and heroin, whatever was in it. So probably fentanyl, whatever they cut it with and shit. But um, yeah, I was sitting in my room and I was praying to God for uh, for a couple of days. You know, I don't know. There was a Bible on my. Uh, so were you religious as a kid? No, like well, I I would go to religion. My dad always wanted us to go to religion. So when things got rough, that we would have something to fall back on. But like I never understood that. You know, like I never felt the presence of a God in my life. If I did pray to a God, it was like, oh, God, please get me out of these jam this jam. You know, like with those foxhole prayers, you know, and then um, how much time does your dad have? So he had um, six years. He relapsed and now he's on another streak of like 20, 20. So all together, he's got in, with one relapse. He's got fucking 25. And you never dealt with him using. I have one vivid memory of him drinking when I was a kid. But that's really it. And my brother and sister remember it, too. I always break his balls. I'm like, ah, don't get him too mad. Don't give him a beer. He might rip the door off the wall. You that know? was the memory. That was the memory, yeah. And he threw the fucking, you know. And he was building a deck in my backyard with his friends. And I guess my dad was uh, start tr stopping drinking at that time. And I remember going into the fridge and seeing beers. And there was, I didn't know what it was. But I have a vivid memory of it. And then my mom came home from bowling one night and goes into the fridge to get something, throws his beers at him outside. Get the fuck out of the house, Bob. You know, because she crazy. was like, no way. Well, she, you know, his drinking brings him misery, just like drugs brings me misery. And the whole time was he trying to like give you program? So like a couple of bad nights would kind of come home with my face destroyed because I got beat up. One time I came home with a broken shoulder, collarbone, and he would sit down with me and read me the doctor's opinion. You know, never right. really like pushed it on me, but he'd give me the book. And that's how I knew I existed. I knew what it was because probation had me go to outpatient. They were talking about it, but I didn't know my dad went there, you know. And then um, 
around 23 years old, I had this, like, I don't know, it was like November of 2009, was it? Yeah, no, it was, I was like maybe like 25, I don't know, it was a few years ago. So I had this bad night with this chick, and um, I don't know, she had a bunch of pills on her, and they were, they looked like Zans. So, I don't know, I was fucked up, and I was like sick, so I was like, God, oh, just give me one of them, you know? And, but when I do Xanax, I black out, like there's no, you know, so I wake up, and I'm in a psych ward, you know, but I have vivid memories of all this shit going on. I smashed my car. Well, I left the hotel. I drove to her house, grabbed my car, and then I was going from her house, apparently, to my blue dealer. And while I was on my way to my blue dealer. Blacked out. Blacked out. Have no, like, really recollection, except the only time I remember coming to was when I smashed into a guardrail after smashing into this Indian guy. Totally fucked his shit up. <laughs> fucking fucked my shit up. Right. And I know somehow I talked my way out of it with the cops. Then I was blacked out again, and I wake up in a tow truck on my way back to my grandma's house. Everybody's calling me, and then, I don't know, after that, I remember being with my dad. My dad took me to a church. He called this other guy, Lee. This guy, Lee, is his sponsor. He was like, I don't know what to do with this kid. He's like, ah, just drop him off at St. Charles. And, <laughs> and he drops me off right. at St. Charles, and I don't know, I wake up, and I'm in the psych ward, and I'm like, what? The? So that was like one of my brief moments of like, oh my God, I need to change. Then when I got out of the psych ward, the girl that I got into the shit with comes and picks me up and she's got a pack of blues and like instantly no mental defense. I just wrecked. How many blues are in a pack of blues? A hundred. Okay. Yeah. I never did a blue. Really? No, never. Yeah. So fucking psych ward, pack of blues. What happens? So I, uh, you know, she comes and picks me up and, you know, she has the pack and instantly i get, get right back to right. it you know smoking blues in her car smoking blues sniffing blues doing whatever you know and then um yeah from that moment is really where my drug addiction changed to nothing but misery like i i don't know i would stop have brief moments of stopping 30 days and then i would convince myself that uh, i could drink and i would find myself back into the fucking cycle again every time every time you know, and there was just fucked up things that would happen throughout the time. You like know? what? Give me one. So uh, just a lot. The, the overdoses was what the, the most scary thing. Like I was doing the same shit as people that are dropping and I'm just confused. Like this guy just dropped and I here I am. I just smoked fucking three grams of this shit for the day. And he's dead. And he, you did a little pebble and you're like almost on the verge of death and I'm doing CPR. And my one friend overdosed two times in front of me. Off a baby hit, you know, and that's how deadly the shit is. Did any of them die in front of you? No, no. Well, they were they Thank were they God. were flatlined, but they and ended you're up doing getting, CPR, calling CPR. EMTs. Yeah, one time, um, one of my buddies, he was like throwing up, and I got him to throw up, but he had noodles on his mouth, and I'm looking at his face, and I'm like, oh, you motherfucker, you're so lucky that I love you, and I just wiped his mouth, and I fucking did CPR on him, you know, and and he lived. He lived. You saved his life. I saved his life. Is he he's still actually, alive? He's actually coming to um, paint the house with me after we do this podcast. Is he clean? He's clean now, yeah. So his thing is gambling. When he gambles, he... Your his, sister loves gambling. Me too. I got, You're a bad gambler? I know. I was going to ask you about that. I got cards tattooed on my... I, so I come from an Italian family, you know? we um, When I was little, my grandparents used to have card games, you know? And to be a cloud of smoke above, you know? And they would... Uh, you know, they'd be playing cards all night, and me and my brother and sister would come and bring them drinks for a dollar and stuff. Were you like, good? I mean, I... I you I, have to be good would, if you have a heart, a spade, a club, and a diamond I would consider myself a, 
a good card player, but the problem is my degeneracy of gambling gets in the way of my skills. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like I, I go fishing a lot when I shouldn't. In, right. You in, take risks. Take risks or like, you know, bluffing, you know, like totally down in the wind. But, I, you know, certain thing. I forgot what that, I think they call it an inflection point, like a turning point in the tournament. But it's always something bad for me. It's either I'm going to win this hand and go to the next level or I don't. And usually my degeneracy gets in the way and screws me. What do you do? You think you're a gambling addict? I notice now that I'm working on my over compulsive <laughs> things with alcoholism <laughs> that I don't gamble as much. Well, that's, that's and when I best. do gamble, it fucks with my spiritual condition so bad that, that I get upset. Describe that. It's just like. And I, gambling addiction's fucked up because it's the only one you could win at. You know, so you get into these delusions when you win. And I don't know. Um, the way I would explain addiction it is Addiction is like, crazy it's, when it's not drugs. Yeah. When it's not drugs or alcohol, addiction's really- Sex, it, gambling, yeah. food. Know, food. Yeah. Fucking, Those uh, are the, that's where it gets codependency. Yeah. That's where it gets into real sick places because with drugs and alcohol, you could be like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. With gambling, you could be, okay, I'm done. With sex, not so much. No. And with food, Definitely not. No. Now, it's 10 minutes till the meeting. I have to chair the meeting today, which I'm very, I, I get to chair the mm. meeting today. I, we can't stop the show. So we need to pause the show. Yeah, we could pause it. We just finished, we, we just came back from a very inspiring meeting. Very inspiring. Very inspiring meeting. The most inspiring thing is there's this guy who's very handsome, very wealthy, very tan, drives a Corvette, used to have a really hot younger girlfriend. Mm. And uh, always would, you know, kind of like, I wouldn't say he bragged shared, but he never, he always said like, he's doing good. Mm. And he seemed to be doing good. And today he said he wasn't doing great spiritually. And that invigorated me. Yeah, it's very important to keep your uh, spiritual condition right. You know, like we were talking about before, like gambling, it... Uh, it nice segue. Very, very it, nice. It, uh, it, it, you like that? Yeah, very good. Um, it, uh, it, it fucks with my spiritual conditions. Uh, you know, now that I'm trying to move about the spiritual path, you know, when I gamble, I get so upset, you know, because really, if you think about it, in, a, in like a gambling aspect, I've gambled with my life so many times that I'm still here and I am so lucky. So when I feel like I gamble... And when I gamble, I feel like such a loser. I'm like, why? You know, I feel like I've run out on my luck in so many other ways that when I gamble, God just does not see fit. He's like, this is not for you. You know, and when's the last time you gambled? Um, I went to Jake's like two weeks ago. And how'd you do with your sister? I know I went with my girlfriend and we lost 400 bucks between the two of us. But still, it was like, you know. I, she lied to me and told me, oh, I lost $20. Then we get home and she goes, oh, I lost 200 And now I'm thinking, all right, we only lost 220 for the day, whatever. It's like 110 each. And now it's a $400 hit. You know, and that's the, that's what I understand with gambling is it's just like a drug. It, You know, it's like I want more and more and more. And I will dig myself into that deep, deep abyss. I'm not built for gambling. My, my wife is a, she's like, I don't know. She's like a good gambler. Mm. If she loses, she stops. Yeah. If she wins, she stops. She doesn't keep going. She walks away, and she's fairly lucky. I expect to win, lose, get hurt that I lost, want to make a comeback. It, it's just yeah. for me. It's I'm, I'm a kind I of dramble. typical. I dr I gamble like a like a drug addict, you know. So I like essentially I switch addictions in 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 the moment. I guess like if I'm not drinking and drugging, 
and gambling like i either replace one with the other you know does that make sense I, it's 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 weird you know but, but we hear about people with time and with a, with a program who are gambling mm. and like it's it's very it's like I think it's very hard to to be sober and gamble. Oh, 100 percent. I offer my sister. It affects her 100 percent. And it, it really doesn't affect me monetarily. It affects me monetarily if I take it too far and I can't stop. That's why it's just the same thing. As What's the, do you ever have a crazy gambling run where you lost a shit ton? Oh, of yeah, money? I was. And uh, did anyone ever fight you because like they want to take advantage of you because you're, you're this uh, card shark uh, well, tattoo? Uh, great gambling story. So I used to go to these underground uh, poker games and this this kid that uh, man he used to a pretty good big game but sometimes he would switch up the location did you like wear suits to the game no but sometimes he would get all like uh dressed up to you know to act act the pit boss part and this guy was a skinny strung out drug addict right. you know but he was making so much money he'd have we'd have like 30 40 people playing craps running a 5-5 uh plo uh pot limit omaha game they would play this other game uh it was kind of like rummy uh continental they called it there's a lot of nights, man. And a couple of times uh, I was in games and people, uh, you know, I was sitting there playing. And, uh, I don't know, the door gets busted open, boom, and then cops roll in. They, they, they hold you all there. Dealers get to leave, everybody, all the other, but they, you know, they, they swipe all the money off the table. And we found out that it, was, it wasn't an actual real cop. Nice. That, the, the Did you game, find out who it was? Well, it came about this guy not too long ago ended I up love get, stories getting like arrested in the city. And um, he was part of a whole bunch of fake, cops. fake cop robberies, and he got he got imprisoned for um, impersonating a police officer and got screwed. He was actually a big weed dealer. One of my friends knew him through the game. They used to do the whole California thing, and um, I don't know. They they've crossed paths, and then I don't know for some reason the drug realm and the 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 drug sales always cross paths with the gambling addicts. I feel like they run hand in hand, and. Um, yeah, a lot of crazy night. One night I was in there playing blackjack with this guy. He was, I don't know. He was getting all rowdy. But they used to have massage girls and shit there. And the guy, Ryan, he would get all coked out. And, like, you'd see him in the middle of the fucking, in the corner of your eye, in the middle of the room, getting his nipples rubbed. But And it was just a weird atmosphere. <laughs> I knew I was in a weird place when, like, I look out of the corner of my eye and this guy's getting his nipples grabbed by, like, four different chicks me and my boy were like like I, what are we doing here like this is when i knew that like my addictions multiple addictions were taking me to like such weird places the dark bro. night of the soul when you look out of your eyes and somebody's getting their nipples yeah, massaged in an like, illegal yeah. card game you think those fake cops ever like took drugs from people i'm sure they have i i don't know any stories person actually it. no i did not i do know one story actually this kid that uh, my friend used to sell weed to he got pulled over by a fake cop they have the lights on the dashboard the whole nine and uh he must i mean, i don't know they must have been following him around realized that or knew that was somebody he got he got set up and uh, somebody must have known that he went and picked up and the car pulled him over and um he took him on a high-speed chase, thinking, and they finally pull over, and they, the the, the uh, people stole the weed from him, whatever drugs he had on him. And did up, they pretend like they were cops? Yeah, or they, they, pretend, just they pretended like they were cops. So eventually, when the kid stopped, he thought he was fucked, and they just took the shit and they ran. You know, they they bounced. It's crazy, you know, the shit you do. I mean, I have this this one kid. I guess I could tell this story. He um, he's dead now. So uh, those what, are always the safe stories. Yeah, yeah, I could talk about that one. This kid I know, he used to sell a bunch of uh, fake blues, 
and he used to also eat Xanax. So I don't know. I, I was kind of trying to stay clean at the time. And I don't know. We were friends, you know, kind of, I guess you could say, but more through the game. And uh, I gave this kid a lot of money. Like he was driving around in a 100,000 BMW that I most likely paid for. I gave him every dollar I ever because I was just so wrapped up in it. But, into the blues. Into the blues. But if they were the fentanyl blues. So um, I don't know. I was just that so, should be the song you write. The yeah, fentanyl blues. Fentanyl blues. Oh, man. Yeah, that's, that's good. a good title. The fentanyl blues. Yeah, man. Crazy times. But yeah, this kid, he... Um, I don't know. He's, he decides one day, he's like, yo, I'm going to the strip club and I want you to come, man. Don't worry about money. I got you. And uh, so I go on this adventure to the strip club with him. And um, we get there. He hands me a G, $1,000 right away. You know, he's like, you know, have fun. I'm fucking around with the Spanish girl, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, finally in this in this moment, I was I was clean. And then I have the thought, all right, I'm going to drink. You know, I'm going to just have one drink. And um Basically, what happened, we have a good night. Like, I remember a lot of it. And then um, he breaks out the fentanyl blues, and I started doing them. But he was so Smoking them? No, I was sniffing them at the time. And he um, decides that he wants to leave, but he's going to drive the car. And I'm like, bro, you can't even keep your eyes open. I'm going to drive the car. So I'm driving home, and this kid fucking um, ends up falling asleep with, like, $12,000 on his pants and uh like a thousand fentanyl blues in his lap in his lap so i'm like trying to wake him up and he's not moving and i get the bright idea fuck it i'm gonna take this shit and drop him off in his car and i'll walk home from wherever i gotta go i got a bunch of money i got a drugs and i'll just never see this fucking kid again so um i take the money and i take the um the blues and mind you i had this grand plan in my head that i was going to sell all these blues and in a month, I had to hit this kid up again and ask him for more, you know. And I had never had any idea that I ever stole because he was blacked out on he Xanax. He didn't know. Never knew. How he did just, he die? He ended up overdosing on fentanyl and Xanax. I just found out. I went to go speak at a rehab commitment with Ray. And um, I see this kid, Frank. And it's funny. He owed me $230. I was like, yo, motherfucker, you got my money? And I was like, yo, don't worry about it. You know, he's... Uh, I was like, you don't owe me any money. You know, you, you have my number. Call me when you get out of here. And I was, you know, I was start talking to him. I was like, oh, how's Danny doing, man? And he goes, Danny who? And I'm like, Danny Hughes. He goes, yeah, he died. What are you talking about? And I'm like, what? Is-? I had no idea that he even died because I haven't spoke to him. You know, it was my own fucked up wrongdoing because, you know. You I, felt I, guilty I that felt you robbed guilty. him. You know, I, I didn't even know he died, though. And he's like, oh, why weren't you at the funeral? I was like, I didn't even know he died, bro. You know? It was, uh, it's crazy, you know? This thing does not discriminate, man. I never had the opportunity to be in that situation. Like, I barely got high with dealers. But my favorite thing, what I would buy so much drugs, you know, on a daily basis, and the dealers would come to my house on a daily basis. Yeah, I never needed money or anything. Yeah, so they would give it right. to me because they knew that I would, I mean, I was like you. I would work for my money. I mm. would get a check, and I would pay, mm-hmm. you know, so they would give me money. But the greatest thing was when you knew that you had to leave, leave. you know what I mean? You had to check in and you, you were never going to see them again. And I never felt guilty about no. it. Like when they talk about it, like some people talk about the amends, financial, the amend. financial amends. Like I'm not going to go pay back my crack dealer that aided in my destruction. Like, fuck that guy. Sorry to say, you know, but it, it's just the way that I feel about it. I don't need to go and dive back into that old life when I'm trying to move forward here. You There's know a mean? lot of financial amends that I never made. Like I never, uh, like went back to places that I robbed and gave them money. Nah, like yeah. I never did any of that kind of thing. 
I should tell, I mean, like, there's things we can do, like, other people we can give the money to. Mm. And I feel like that kind of shit is next level. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's next level program that I should probably get into at some point. If I, because it's like the meeting today, it's like you can be fucking treading water. But you're not getting anywhere. Mm. You know, you need to do that next level shit. Usually sometimes. when, for me, I feel like AA is not working for me, it's because I'm looking to take from AA. Right, you're not doing enough. And I notice AA for me and everybody else works a lot more when you are looking to give back to AA. You know, and I learned that from my sponsor. I would never look at it that way. I was always a taker. Take, take, take. Hey. Why is this not working for me? Why, why, why? And... You know, now all of a sudden I'm thinking, all right, what can I do for AA? And now all of a sudden it's much easier to stay sober. You're in almost in that in God's will always, you know, when you when God conscious when you can keep up with it. I mean, it's just like there's so many hours in the day and there's so many days in a week that sometimes like you just can't Mm. do it all the time. I mean, no. And like we are not saints is 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 the deal. Um, when did it get so like, what the fuck happened that it changed for you? As far as what? Like, like, Sobriety? How, yeah. How did you go? Cause like you had your daughter, you're in and out, you're, you're, you know, how did, what was the, the, the big fucking moment? Well, um, I was sitting in my, oh yeah, we were talking about that. I was sitting in my basement and I had a Bible on my nightstand and I, I knew that God was a big piece of everybody's recovery and I've never felt it in my life and it tells you right in the steps that you know make a decision to turn your life over to God as you understand him you know because he will return you to sanity that's you know make a uh, come to believe that a power greater than myself in step number two could return you to sanity so I was reading the bible the, the first couple pages over and over and over again and then I got this phone call I don't know I had that like white light moment what where, was it um it was a call from a detective telling me to turn myself in and um I had this like outer body experience. Um, Why? On, for what? Well, the kid was uh, that uh, I was talking about. He overdosed at my house. So there was a situation that happened at my house. So they were calling, I guess, asking about it. But it turned out to be a prank phone call. And because I called my lawyer and he, you know, he ended up uh, finding out that it was a prank phone call. And because it was a 516 area code and they told me to go to the 5th precinct is is in Suffolk. So it was it didn't make sense. So my, my lawyer was like, don't worry about it. But in that moment, I was realizing. It's like, who the fuck is that? Yeah, who's fucking with you? But like exactly. That? Like, who's fucking with me? Who's doing it? And like, I thought that I was regardless of that. I just had this moment where I, I was seeing my world crumble before my eyes. Like I had this like outer body experience and it was it was rough in the beginning. You know, like I didn't like. I, I, I was sitting in my room and I was withdrawing so bad and I just, I couldn't move, but I, I kept fighting myself. I would text my drug dealer and then I would be like, no, 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 don't come. You know, and I did that for like five days. I'm sure he loved that. Oh, he loved it. He was like, you motherfucker, stop it. You know, like just, I'm going to come. It's cool that he didn't come. He didn't. Well, he lived a little bit farther away, so it was like a 20 minute drive, but he was never on time. He would tell you five minutes and it was seven hours later, you know, and. You know, I always used to go through that shit. And then that's why I was like, yo, if you ever buy me, just drop something in my right. mailbox. You right. know, just never leave me hanging, please. Like, and it was sucked because my whole life could not function without my drug dealer or any of the three drug dealers. And somehow, some way, there was always one point in time where all three of them could not meet up with me at once. And 
I would always come to this realization like the night before that, all right, I'm going to do all my shit tonight. I'm going to get clean tomorrow in the morning, you know? And then I wake up in the morning and I'm losing my mind. I'm like, why the fuck did I do that? I couldn't just save just a little bit right. so I could get through the day, like, right. just, just a couple of hours. You know, the thing with fentanyl is you get, it's synthetic. So it goes deep into your body, but like it it it's it stays so long in there. Like one time I got clean off fentanyl and I pissed fentanyl for like 52 days. Hold up though. Like I never did fentanyl. I don't think. How different is it than heroin in your experience? Um, and oxys. It's definitely way, way, way stronger. Um, but it doesn't last as long. So you get that nod that you're always looking for, you know, as fast. as a, as a, as a yes, very fast. But you build such a high tolerance to it. So you're almost like um, when you build the tolerance, there is no. It's either you're too fucked up or you're sick. There's no like happy medium, you know. I don't know how to like. And really... when you when you're out there and you're using in the beginning of the fentanyl epidemic, like how is it discussed amongst your friends? Like, because like I mean, when I was using, the only fentanyl were fentanyl lollipops and fentanyl uh, gels that people yeah, would cook still down. Exist. Right, but now. I mean, fentanyl is the is on the front page of the paper yeah. every day, and no one can say anything without saying the you word. You know, they fentanyl. say that you could overdose of two grains of sand, like worth of fentanyl. And, and I don't know. I'm not saying that you do or you don't. I, I guess to like the natural system of a human being, when it hits it, it shocks the shit out of it. But me, I was progressively using it every single day. I had such a high tolerance, and you know, it came about because like I was doing blues, and I would do like 30, 40 blues a day. You know, and then. I noticed that this one kid, he used to sell, he had two bags of them, you know? So, and then he was like, one's real, one's not. And I was like, ah, let me just get one of these fake ones. And I only did a quarter of it. And I got a thousand times more fucked up. From the that, fentanyl. From the bro. fentanyl. Almost like borderline overdose. Like, I was like, oh my God, I'm not good. And that's how people are dying. Yes. Because they they, they're used to one strength and then it hits them mm, like 20 times more. Well, also, they're, they mimic the actual uh, Roxy's like perfectly almost. You could... The way I figured out that you could tell a real one from a fake one is if you flip your phone light over and you put your flashlight on, the real ones, they're solid. Like, you can't see through them. The uh, the fake ones, you can see you through. You can shine the light, shine through, the light it. through it. Yeah. Right. I mean, and that's how I figured out. But also, like, there's other little ways you could tell. But in the beginning, when they first came around, nobody knew. Nobody knew of fat, fake fentanyl blues, you know? So, like, you'd get a shitload of them, and I would do a fucking... A, a 10 banger like of 10 of them at once so i'm just breaking down 10 fucking blues and not knowing that like that they were the, some of them were fake some of them have this off green tint some of them have this dark dark blue like they're all different now I, i've seen pictures of them there's fucking like purple ones yellow ones with the m box on it you know they're all different colors it's crazy you know and i never understood that like if you're a drug dealer, you I mean, or just in business in general, you want repeat customers. It makes no sense to me in my head as to why you would want to kill your customers. But I, I realize that it's, you know, we're, we're working against the devil here. I, I think some in some situations, it depends on the dealer, right? If the dealer has crazy volume, I think in some situations, like back in the day, the story was, and I was never in that world where if someone died, you sought out that heroin. Like I was never in that world, but that seemed to be like a sales strategy that people used. In this day and age, dealers tend to be local. 
they're they're your friend. Yeah. They know you. Like I don't think they do want you to die. I think that the product is is very easy to fuck up. Well, that's yeah, that's the problem is that there's a bunch of inconsistencies in them. So when you press them, you never get the same amount Strength. that you put in each one. So one may be hot, one may be too little. You know, right, a couple exactly. of them that I've gotten, you know, I I remember And how, how do you test it? You just do it. Do you know anybody that was at I, the top of the food chain with the drugs and how they had to test it? Uh, well, now they have fentanyl test strips. Right, but had to test strength. Does, does the test strip show so, strength? In my experience with them, the lighter, the lighter, greener ones. I, if they were lighter, there was most likely more fentanyl in them than if they were darker. If they were darker, there was more heroin in them. And, and like in that period of time where you're like basically becoming a fentanyl addict, and fentanyl is the is everyone the top of everyone's mind. What's the conversations with your friends about it? It's a lot of misery, man. None of us knew how to fucking get out of where we were, you know? And <clears throat> But it wasn't like specific to fentanyl. It was just like being a drug addict. Well, I remember this one situation with my friend that I was like, listen, man, I went and picked it because he was sick at the time. I was like, I got a couple of real ones off this person. And I don't know. These He gave me these other three that are fake. And I'm pretty sure. Oh, well, they look a little weird and I think they're fake. And he was like, all right, I'll. Let me have one the, of these right, just right. so I could try it, and I'll take three of the, you know. The real ones. The real ones. And um, all of a sudden, he was just like, all right, do not get me any real ones anymore. Right. Get me the fake ones. Because right. you got what you were looking for almost right. immediately. See, I think that's something that people who aren't drug addicts don't understand. That, like, everyone's like, well, why would you do fentanyl if it's going to kill you? And and what's the answer? Well, it's never it's never like all right. I'm gonna do this pill and I'm looking to die. Like when you're you're just looking to not be sick. So when you're in survival mode like that, there is no thinking. It's it's like almost becomes instinct that you want to not feel like this, and you almost do anything to. Oh well, for me, I would almost do anything to not feel that way. You know. And I think like lots of people died from heroin overdoses, but it's like a much bigger number die from fentanyl Fent overdoses. When I was doing heroin, I was never really afraid of dying. Were you ever afraid of dying from fentanyl when all your friends are fucking dying? Uh, yeah, that was the Honestly. mind fuck of it all. So like instead of stopping like a normal person, I used to. So I never wanted my family to find me dead in my room or be alone. So I would sniff a bunch of them and then run upstairs. So I would be on the couch with my family. God forbid something happened. Like that's the way my thinking. I was. think that's how my best friend died. Like he, I mean, he. I think he did it in his car. I think he sniffed a bag and he died in 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 his room. Yeah, you know. Well, let's see that. Um, that my friend that I was talking about, Jay. One night I had like twenty of these things and we were doing it and I was like, Yo, they're fake. They're not real ones. I don't want you to do them. And he kept bugging me, bugging me, bugging me. And I was like, Fine, fuck it. Here's a half. You know. Now I, I'm on like fifteen of these things for the day, and he does a half. We smoke a joint, watching Joe Rogan podcast. We're on my bed, and all of a sudden I start hearing. You know, and I'm like, ah, funny joke, man. Funny joke, you know. And then I realized he's he's dying. He's dying. You know, and that was the story that I talked about with the noodles on it. Right, right, right. And that was the kid that I saved. But um, I and I had Narcan in the house. I hit him with three things of Narcan and he didn't come back. Let me ask you this. In that time, are you around recovery at all? When people are talking about the evils of fentanyl, the fear of fentanyl, are you just like they're full of shit. They don't know what they're talking about. Like, was there any kind of like fuck that kind of thing? I'm sure there. So has I, al to be. I always knew that the answer lied within the rooms, but the problem was I would go there. No, and but I mean specifically with fentanyl. 
Because, like, I mean, I'm realizing that you're a very special, important character right now, you know, important voice, mm. because you, you have six months sober, you're a fentanyl addict, mm -hmm. you know, all fentanyl addicts are supposed to be dead. Mm -hmm. You're alive. And, and never even overdosed. Right. So, like, what was your mindset like in that, the end of that run, where, where the deaths are, like, you know well i that's when i i realized if i wasn't going to if i wasn't dead already this thing doesn't want me to die it just wants me to suffer for the rest of my life and that was my mind state like there was never really a thought in my head that i would like fall out or die or that's what i'm saying you know I, like it was never really a thought of that and i just realized like for me that I was like, this thing just wants me to suffer to the like utmost. Right, that's some weird, weird place. <laughs> oh my right, god, right, that's a weird place your a, brain goes. It to. was like being locked because you're room. like, I can't die. No, I just, I'm in hell. I'm in purgatory. I, it won't take me. Invincible almost, you know. And I was like, everybody used to be like, Lenny, your tolerance is so high. You better be careful, you know. And I'm like, well, that's the thing. Is like my tolerance is so high. How much could I do and get away with it, you know? But there, it gives me the chills to hear you say that. Like you need to stay sober. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because 100%. because of this talk, this talk is gonna fucking kill you if you. No, use, well now now it's you know, like. Do you know what I'm saying? No, 100. Now it's like now I could talk about it and understand that it truly wanted me dead, and I better be careful because like one bad move and I go back, and it's not even in my mind. Like when I think about using, it's not. I like it. I realized the misery that it's caused me for the last 13 years, for whatever, 12, 13 years. The life that I'm afforded now means way more to me than that life of course. ever gave me. And like it took me 13 years to realize that, you know. Um, but I, it, you know, a lot of, I paid a very high price, you know, and I, it's like putting a blackjack bet up, you know, but I put my fucking life on the line every single day. It was like putting eight bullets in a nine, nine chamber yeah, Russian, gun Russian and missing the bullet every yeah. time. But I guess what I'm saying is like people relapse. I don't want you to because I'm scared that you're going to be dead and we're going to have you saying all this stuff that you survived. And then one day, you know, mm -hmm. so please let this be some kind of positive thing. Oh, 100 percent. Because what the fuck? So how did you wind up getting a day? Uh, well, I had that phone right, call right, right. and um, I don't know. I just I was laying in my bed waiting. They were like, oh, can you come turn yourself? Oh, the vibe. In? Oh, yeah. The phone call. Right, you know? right. So they were like, can you turn yourself in? I was like, oh, no, I'll have my parents drop me off. And I was like, I'm not going. I'm just going to sit in my room and I'll wait for them to get me. You know, so I sat there and waited. My my sister came into the room. What was the charge in the fake phone call? They just wanted to pull me in for questioning for the overdose that happened at my house. But I realized that um, I don't know if I go in there, I might not be coming out, you know, for a long time, considering what happened. You know, even though I didn't, he came to my house. I didn't have anything to do with it the second time. But the first time we were getting high together and um, it, it was just it's a crazy life, man. You know, I sometimes think, like, how did I even get here? Well, so you so you you don't turn yourself in, and you just start withdrawing. Yes, and I start withdrawing, and um, yeah, and that's when I was fighting myself with the drug deal. I was constantly up oh, this that you know like oh, come don't come come don't come, and I did that for like five days, and then when I got and out you of, got five days though. Yeah, I got five days like it's that. Huge. And then uh, Leanne was like, you know, come to a meeting with me, and that's when I came here 
and I was looking at the birds on the beach and the birds are flying back and forth and I'm just looking at them all strung out and I'm like, how am I supposed to be a functioning human being in society? Like, I can't even get out of bed and go to work without doing drugs and like here these birds are hunting and gathering and tending to their young and being productive members of society. Bird and, society. You know, and I can't even, you know, the, the seagulls, they have a meeting on the beach and I, I can't even drag my ass out of bed to, uh, you know, blow my nose without doing a bump, you know, or smoking a hit or taking a blow. But you showed up three years ago and then went back. Yeah. So what was that? Um, probably just a moment of like wanting to get the consequences off my back with my family. Every time I went to AA, it was never for me. You know, the recovery aspect, it was always for somebody else. It was always because my dad was uh, putting uh, a line in the sand on my living situation or this or that. And then there was brief moments where like I truly wanted to get together, but I would get out of rehab and then within a week, you know, I would miss a meeting and boom, I'm getting high. Fuck it. You know, and I it would always convince myself, ah, it's only one time, nobody will know. And, and it's I, so it feels so good to be in that moment and succumb to it and be like, yeah, I can finally, because you feel so bad. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, you feel so bad and you're like, fuck it. And when you can succumb to using in the very beginning, you don't realize that you're never, it's going to be so hard to get another so day. Now, if you think about it, like I used to think, oh my God, I cannot use drugs or do anything for the rest of my life. What do they tell us here? Don't pick up the first one. So now don't pick up the first one for one day, you know? And but how hard was it to get a day as a fucking oh, opioid addict. Oh my God. A day is like 10 fucking days. I a day is like a month. In the beginning. When they say one day at a time, I'm like, give me a break. break. I know, I know. Uh, but time would go so slow. And I realized that um, now that I don't get high, time goes as it's supposed to. And I feel like life doesn't move as fast. I used to look at the clock. It'd be two o'clock in the morning, right? And then for some reason, oh, whatever, I'd go about my day and I would look and then it'd be like two o'clock. Two o one. Two o, you know, or like when I was getting clean, like I'd be laying in my, uh, like for those days I was withdrawing, I'd lay in my bed. I'd be like, oh, it has to be an hour, you know, and I look at the clock, it's been five minutes. Right, so I'm like, like 2.06. Oh my God, <laughs> like, what is this? Like, right. what? And I, I remember Hell. having a conversation with my dad in the shed. Like we, we always used to smoke joints in the shed and I was sitting there strung out one day and I'm like, dad, like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't even, I like just life. I was like, I'm checking out, dude. I'm checked out. I don't even know what this life is. What is this earth, this spinning ball? Like, what the fuck is this place? And he goes, Lenny, life is what you make it. And I was like, whatever, dad. You know, like you, you and your positive shit. Like my life is garbage right now. Like there's no way that life is going to be what I make it. And then I, like a couple of months later, I realized life was what I was making it. Right. Life, and now, like now that I'm doing the right thing, my life if you look at a graph, you know, I'm on like a huge upswing right now. And beforehand, I was in a complete nosedive. What yeah. were the three years between like? Just, uh, I, I went to jail for 90 days for another DWI. It was just a lot of just many debacles of just insanity. Like one second, everything will be good. And then another second, things would just be falling apart. A lot of which like I don't blame my ex-girlfriend. But me not being clean around her, she definitely aided in that because like she didn't she didn't understand the concept that I need to go to meetings. She doesn't understand, didn't understand that I need to put this first, otherwise I don't have anything. You know, and she, she didn't understand me, what kind of drug addict you were. Well, that too, you know. But but you know, well she's seen I don't know what she's seen in me, 
And I, like, and now I see it. A lot of people tell me, Lenny, you're amazing. You know, you have such a strong message, this and that. You know, now I could see because I'm sober, all the things. But even like even now, my new girlfriend, like she buys me a gift or tells me I'm amazing. I don't even know how to take it. You know, I'm like, you need to stop buying me gifts because I, I feel like I don't deserve a gift. You know, like she's like, you're an amazing human being. And then sometimes I just don't even know. Like even here, you know, sometimes people are like, Lenny, you know, your message was so powerful. I'm like, dude, I'm just talking to you the way that I think that it, I, the way I perceive it, you know, when I read the words off the page or I speak it, it's like comes from true feeling, you know. So now I'm learning to understand that, you know, you can be an amu- amazing human being, you know. And just uh, I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of wreckage of my past right now. But eventually you clear all that, that wreckage and the future is squeaky clean. And that's where I understand that what my dad was saying, that life is what you make it. No, so, I, I, lo- I love that idea. What happened in the three years between debacles and coming back? Like, what was the thing that that really shifted in the end? Or was it just nothing? What happened was, well, at the end, I got, uh, so around February of this year, like, there was obviously your typical drug addict shit with that story, with the kid with the strip club, the, the prostitute, you know, everything that comes along with it. But this last time around, I was, I was at work, and this kid... Uh, he was, uh, you know, just like one of us, but he was still on the blues and he would come to work sick, you know, and he was my partner and I was getting high and I would never give him shit because, uh, you know, what happened with my friend? I was like, I'm done, you know, and he kept bugging me and bugging me and he was working like shit for the day. And I was like, finally, here, you know, take a bump of this. He did the babiest little bump in overdoses in my truck at work. So the EMTs come. We, but he you know, didn't die. He didn't die, no. Now, that's the thank God, like for yeah. this Narcan, man, because you know you had it with you. No, well, I was doing CPR on him again because he fell out. And How many people blue. do you think you did CPR <laughs> on? Like uh, five, and none of them died. None of them died. You must be really good at CPR. Well, I think it was I noticed before. It's not like he was sitting there. I noticed right away that holy shit, and He's checked out. his pulse. Yeah. His heart stopped. So I'm like, all right, his heart stopped. I got to start, you know, doing chest compressions and shit. But it's scary, you know. Like, you got to become an EM, a volunteer yeah, EMT. Yeah, I think that's on the, the checklist in the future. Hold on, where was I at? You have a knack. No, he's overdosing oh, in the so car. So he's overdosing in my truck. In the truck. And now. I pull over into this parking lot and the other guy who's driving his own truck sees us pulling this parking lot and thinks that we're going to eat lunch. So I pull Corey out of the fucking truck and I'm doing CPR on this kid. This other kid's like, what the fuck is going on? I was like, I don't know. He went into the bathroom at the gas station, yada, yada, yada. He fucking overdosed. And like, he got back in the truck and he fell out while I was coming over the bridge. You know, came up with this fucking total lie. Right. And... um Make a long story short, like I didn't want to call my supervisor and tell him. I'm like, whatever, the EMT's got him back. He's in the hospital. We just got to go back to the shop, put the trucks back, and get the fuck out of here. Well, the other kid calls the supervisor, and we were sitting across the street from the bar. So after the EMTs left, I went into the bathroom at the bar to obviously do some shit. I was like, it's ridiculous. This kid overdoses. I'm like, oh, my God, I need another hit. You know, I can't believe this just happened. And I got a whole bunch of shit in my lunchbox. So Shane comes to the fucking scene or whatever, and he's like, get back to the fucking shop now. So I'm like, whatever. I go to the shop. But as he pulls up, I'm fucking walking out of the bar. So it totally looks bad. Thinks that I'm in there drinking or some shit. So we get back to the shop. He's yelling at me, blah, blah, blah. This and I'm like, 
Yeah, listen, man. I don't know what happened. I don't know why you guys are yelling at me. Like, I come another another you know deflection story. And then finally, Shane asked me. He was like, "And you didn't send me the paperwork?" And I lost my fucking mind. I was like, "This motherfucker just overdoses in the truck, and you care about the fucking paperwork? Go fuck!" You know. And I obviously do the typical fucking make you feel sorry, blah blah blah. Right, and right. the guy gets in my face, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, "You know, motherfucker, what are you gonna do?" And now, mind you, I got my boss to the right. And I look to the right. And I looked to the left back at him. I could have hit this dude with a right hand, and I had a chance to grab him with the headbutt, but um, I didn't because the boss is standing right next to me. I, I, you know, I respect my, my old boss Kenny a lot. Great guy. And um, as like there was like three seconds of thought, that, but all this happened so fast. And um, I don't know he grabbed me by my throat, and we get in a little tussle match. He's fucking punching me in my face, and somehow my legs get caught up, and I tripped over myself. And as I tripped and fell, he ran up on me and kicked me in the face, you know, and um, that was like the beginning of me thinking like, wow, there's a lot of consequences going on for my drug right. use. Now, this, this is like the third, fourth person that has overdosed in, in front of me in like the last six months. I'm, you know, I can't hold a job. I can't get all these things. So from that moment on, I went on unemployment, you know, they because we were getting laid off because we do on the work in the winter. You can't work. And um I, uh, you know, I, I ended up getting uh, let go or whatever. I go on unemployment and I was getting free 500 bucks a week. But that was when, you know, from February to about March 22nd, I didn't come out of my room. And all I did was smoke crack and smoke heroin. And then I had that God moment where it just changed everything. But mind you, in the last 13 years of coming to AA, like, I think I miserably failed because I didn't have that God moment. You know, I never truly felt. And then, you know, yeah. I, what I'm do you a, think the God moment was? You're fucking like you have one horrible situation after another. You're out of work. You have money. You have drugs. Do you do you, do you remember any reason why you should look at the Bible differently in that moment? Well, I realized that. Um, well, I kept telling myself there was a story about Noah. You know, and uh, I don't. God took a liking to Noah. And I just kept telling myself over again, be like Noah, be like Noah, God loves Noah. And I just, I, that's literally what I would tell myself over and over and over again for days, you know, in the beginning. You know, and then finally I got out into the world and started going to meetings. And, you know, I, I understand that uh, God speaks to me through people. Like I, I have And this a, is after that five-day period where you're texting your drug yes, dealer? Yes, never came. Thank God he didn't come. You know, obviously something was on my side because if it was up to me and I fucking if something crossed my path, I probably would have did it. Like it's much different when, you know, you have distance from something than when it's in front of your face. Like now if a drugs are in front of my face and I'd be like, fuck that. I don't want Is it, it that easy though, for me think? now. Yeah, I, I've waved the white flag. I, I go into bars. I go to the karaoke nights. I do all these things. And How about the shift between no program and program? How natural was it? Well, I, you know, I see what everybody has in program and they seem so happy, joyous and free. And I just never understood that as long as I keep coming and do the things that these people do and I could live that life too. Like my mind was so corrupted. Like it's a, it's the law of attraction. You think shit and you do shit, you get shit. Now I try to think of, I try to do the next right thing and I try and keep a positive mind state. And it's so important because, you know, people come here and say, oh, this is hard, blah, blah, blah. And like once you start telling yourself this is hard, you fucking have I, I don't know. I feel like you build yourself a wall that you're going to run into. I, I see a few people do it. And, you know, we all know it's hard. It 100 percent is hard, you know, but 
Like, that's inevitable. We know it's going to be hard because we've driven our lives down into the ground for years upon years upon years because we gave into the easy, the easy route. Like, the hard route is fighting. That's all this shit is, is really just psychology of self. I'm learning a lot about the human mind day by day. I'm learning a lot about the way other people act, too. You know, it's like, you know, and I, I, I truly feel that I received this gift from God, but I needed to make myself willing and able. I mean, I needed to make myself ready to receive the gifts, you know, and I think those five days of me reading the Bible, like, I, I don't know, I opened uh, that guy, Neil always talks about that channel to your higher power, the pipe, yeah, you got to yeah, unclog yeah. that yeah, pipe. Yeah, yeah. And I think in those five days, you know, I was just, you know, pulling a... Did it shock you? Oh, like yeah. when, when, when all of a sudden you, you're like, you want to come back? Or I turned like... white as a ghost. Leanne walked into my room and was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I, I couldn't even speak, bro. Because like I had vivid visions in my head of all the bad things that were to come and everything that I was, it was just looped in my head. It was like a five second moment, but it felt like five million years of just watching this loop. And then it like zoomed out to this world in my head. And I was looking at the earth and it was just, I seen a grain of sand fall and then the whole world just started crumbling. And then like, I, I don't know, I, just, I snapped out of it. I was like, what the fuck just happened, you know? And um, what'd she say? Leanne knew something was wrong. I didn't really tell. I was like, oh, the cops are coming. She to had me. time, right? Yeah, she's uh, she just came up on three years. So this was like six months ago. She had two and a half years, you know, at the time. So how helpful has her recovery been? Well, Leanne, my dad and her girlfriend, Zofi, my sister's girlfriend, Zofia, I'm around recovery all day. So my dad doesn't go to meetings anymore, but I think he vicariously lives through me and my sister and gets the program that he needs because I'm constantly reading the book and everything around it. And we all do work together. So it's it's a huge asset to my sobriety because, you know, I'm the older brother of three. My brother and sister are twins. My other brother, my brother is in Minnesota. He's an air traffic controller. So he's away from the family. He's actually about to have a baby. I'm going to have a niece. And, um, you know, Leanne, she's a great aunt to my daughter. She's a great asset. Zofia, too. You know, and I, I, they, they root for me. And even when I was getting high, they were rooting for me. So, like, last summer I had about 90 days of clean time. And I threw it away. I relapsed. And I remember. What was that relapse? Um, I was living at my grandmother's house. And life was good. It was around the time that that kid asked me to um, go to the strip club. It was about that time. Right. So, um I relapsed with him and then I kept, re you know, I kept, I kept getting high and I was at the house one day and I, my drug dealer came to my house. I came back in, Leanne and Sophia knew what I was doing and I go downstairs, I get high, I come back up and I was like, I, I remember saying to Leanne, I was like, Lee, I, I don't think I'm making it back this time, you know, like I, I'm checked out again, like I, I'm fucked up, I'm addicted to these things again and then like I just don't have it in me to get better, you know, and then... I don't know. I, I God afforded me an opportunity. You know, it's it's amazing when because like, bro, I, I truly thought I was. And you feel very comfortable with this God business. a hundred percent. I I like I used. It's not that I ever sh looked shunned it away, or I just always thought God was the smiting thing. You know, and my Wait, what's the smiting thing? Nah, just like you know, you do wrong, God. You know, God, you'll be smite. Yeah, smote. Shame, shame. Right, you know, right, like right. in uh, Game of Thrones, yes. and she's getting fucking yes. shamed. You yes. know, yes. and that's what I thought God was. But then, if you really think about it, God's apostles, I mean, Jesus' apostles were rapists and the worst of the worst, and they were afforded an opportunity, you know? Why can't I? And uh, it, it's not that I, I never, I never felt the presence of a, of a supreme being in my life. And when I had that moment, that was the first time, 
You know, it, it tells you in, ch in chapter four, we agnostics, like the third sentence, we who are of the hopeless variety are suffering from an illness in which only a spiritual experience will conquer. So for 13 years, there was no, there spiritual, was no spiritual experience. experience. And now I have the spiritual experience. Now I could string along six months. You well, know? the coolest thing is that you can, even if you don't have Jesus or the apostles or God, or, or like God, capital G, you can put together a spiritual experience by making a decision. Like, I, and I, I mean, I never had, I certainly never had Jesus or apostles or any of that mm. stuff, but I needed a spiritual experience. So I, I, I forced one, yeah. you know, yeah, now I, when I talk about God, I, I like my concept of God is love, you know? And um, love we're, and care. and We're so much better off. Like, whenever that's talked about in the meeting, I feel like the meeting clicks up so many notches where it's like, God is love. Mm -hmm. And how can I bring love to the world? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, and I know this dopey has taken a weird uh, religious love, loving uh, turn, which is good, though. And um, I'm very, very glad that uh, you're doing what you're doing. And I'm very glad you came to share some of your experience, strength, and hope and debauchery yes. with us at the Dopey Nation. I'm uh, honored to be here. Dave, you're a great guy. You know, hopefully uh, when things settle down, I could come back. Definitely. You're, and and uh, tell them about your coloring book. Oh, yeah. I, uh, me and my sister, we started uh, Villani uh, Media. We uh, help businesses gain some traction on social media and just get stuff together for you um, as far as websites and stuff. But my sister's into graphic design, and we created this uh, unicorn coloring book that's actually available How on do Amazon they get now. It? Uh, so basically, you just go on to Amazon. Um, we created this coloring book. Tell them where to get it. Uh, it's on, right what on what's Amazon. What's it called? Uh, it's called the Unicorn Coloring Book. I'll give you the uh, exact information. Unicorn Wonders, a mystical coloring book for all unicorn lovers. Nice. Yeah. My kids love unicorns. Yeah, my daughter does too. So that's uh, basically uh, where we're at with the media. And she's got a few clients. But I opened a construction company also. And I'm part of the media business. So... Um, if not you guys that, can help with dopey. Yeah, I would love to, man. Maybe Leanne could do some dopey art. Yeah. Let's get her, let's get her on the team. Sophia's an artist, too. Let's awesome. get him on the team. That's it. You guys just got a new collab. All right. Sweet. That's it. It's Thank a you, pleasure Lenny. being here. Thank you for having me. Right on, man. Cool. You're a gentleman and a scholar. Sometimes. All right. <laughs> Thanks, man. Anytime. So that was Lenny. I love hearing about uh, the truth about fentanyl and... I think that there's something very, very powerful about hearing somebody who's in their first six months. Please send in an email or a voicemail. Let me know what you thought of Lenny. Uh, do you have a fentanyl experience you'd like to share with the show? Send in an email or a voicemail. Come to fucking DopeyCon. Don't be a fucking stranger. Sign up for Patreon. Um, be in touch. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. And fucking toodles for Chris. I want to take a walk around the world I wonder would it do me any good Until I get some money in my pocket Then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood But I want to be good so bad want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desires, all I ever had. And I want to take a ride up in the sky. Watch this aeroplane just pass me by. And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I want to be good so bad. 
Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good, so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had. And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. They pay it any mind When I leave this busted city far behind I'll take the high road However far it winds Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I wanna be good so bad Wanna be good so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desires, all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And these suckers make me mad, and I wanna call my dad. And it's all I ever had. 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 And these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. And I wanna call my dad. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had.